Hey all, welcome to part two of our 50th episode Star Wars Extravaganza. Mike here just to give a heads up about one of those audio quality disparities I mentioned in part one's intro. Agents of the Dark Side clearly didn't like what we had to say about The Force Awakens, so about halfway through that segment they interfered and messed up David's recording setup. Luckily we had a backup recording to use, but you will notice a big difference in David's sound about halfway through that discussion. Nothing's wrong with your listening setup, crap just happens sometimes. Both segments in this second half of the episode were absolute blasts to record, and I think you'll really enjoy them. So without further ado, please enjoy part two of our Star Wars extravaganza, which starts with a spirited breakdown of Return of the Jedi. Welcome everybody to part two of our 50th episode, The Star Wars Extravaganza, which finds us first discussing 1983's Return of the Jedi. Y'all know me from part one, of course I'm Mike Emmel, and for this segment of the show I am very delighted to be joined by a pair of lovable, fuzzy co-hosts. On my left, you know him as the host of such keystone episodes as Arrival, The Bourne Ultimatum, and of course 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ryan Victory. How's it going, Ryan? I'm doing good. I, I have rocks and I'm ready to throw them. Very They're nice. Coming. And directly across from me, you know him from our episodes on Pan's Labyrinth, The Jungle Book, and Blade Runner, Ezra Smith. I have nothing witty to say, but I'm glad to be here. I'm, in, I'm a little embarrassed you didn't at least try to fake some hutties or something like that. It's okay, man. <laughs> I hate myself. It's okay, man. It's, it's, been, it's been three movies so far and we still have one to go after this. No one's going to judge you guys. Welcome as foundational members of the podcast. I'm so excited to have you a part of this big 50th episode extravaganza. Thank you for coming on to talk Return of the Jedi. And I'm going to start by asking you guys the same question I've asked everybody else so far on the episode. Star Wars, it's a really big deal. What's your guys's, uh, what's your guys' history with the franchise? Is this a childhood favorite of yours? Is it something you don't like? Is it something you came to later and think's okay? Like, what's your history with this saga? I don't have any memories of my family without Star Wars in it. I th we've always watched it. I mean, you know, just like everybody else. I think one of the earliest memories I have of Star Wars is going to Costco to buy the, the VHS special edition re-release. I'm so sorry that actually happened. But <laughs> I think that's one of the earliest memories I have of the, the trilogy as a whole. But just uh, very fond memories growing up um, with all of my, my puppets and monster friends. Very, very surprising from Mr. Ryan Victory, the man who notoriously um, <laughs> doesn't have a lot of experience with these beloved nostalgic franchises. So even Star Wars can cut through to you. Uh, Ezra, what's your history with Star Wars? Uh, so I'm the youngest in my family. So I inherited all the 80s pop culture in the house. And so I grew up with Ewok stuffed animals. And I, watching this, I recalled the title crawl. My mom reading it to me when I was younger because I didn't know how to read back then. And no, this wasn't last week. Stop that. <laughs> What Ryan said, Star Wars has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Okay, so three mega fans coming at you tonight to talk about the original trilogy capper, Return of the Jedi. Guys, we have got votes to decide on, reasons to give, and plots to summarize. So let's start there. Ezra, you drew the short straw. You are given the plot summary for Return of the Jedi. Tell us what it's about. So 
After their defeat at the hands of Lord Vader, Luke Skywalker and company devise a plan to rescue those they love and finally put an end to the Empire. Very nice. An epic conclusion to the original trilogy. Ryan, you are going up first, man. How are you going to vote for Return of the Jedi? You called me a mega fan. I don't know that I would classify myself one. Watching this movie, I didn't watch any of the other ones. I didn't watch New Hope. I didn't watch Empire Strikes Back. And weirdly enough, I don't know if this was a smart idea, but I went in trying to hate the movie. That was my goal when I turned on Return of the Jedi. And I am voting this a cinema must because within the first five minutes of the movie, there was no way I could ever possibly hate this movie. No matter how maligned this one may be in, in the Star Wars universe, I was so giddy when I started this movie. I love it so much. It's just an obvious cinema must. And maybe you guys will disagree. We'll see. Okay, man, so I'm cheating off of our agenda here. That is uh, your first reason why this is a cinema must for you, a movie everybody has to see. You could not find a reason to hate it. What is your second reason? This movie was so perfect when they made it. I don't know if it's perfect, but this movie was so good when they made it. When they had the hindsight is 2020 and went back and tried to make it even better, they didn't. I'm here because Yubnub needs the justice that it rightfully <laughs> deserves because Yubnub has been in my head for the last four days and it will not go away. Therefore, it is a cinemust. Okay, the original 1983 cut, the definitive edition of Return of the Jedi. Yes. Okay. Ezra, we will kick it back to you. How will you vote for this one? I also vote this as a cinemust. This was always my favorite growing up, and it's been a few years since I've watched this one. I think last time I watched it might have been when Force Awakens came out. I think this is the first time in a long time that I've watched just this one instead of the other two leading up to it. And it didn't disappoint. I There's things that I noticed this time around, and it's probably because I was preparing for the podcast, but like the way C-3PO's mannerisms are in this one, it like his double takes every now and then, and just the way the storytelling goes, it touches my childlike heart, and I just enjoy it. Like Although the CG is bad, I couldn't get an <laughs> older cut. But so I couldn't. Yeah, is yeah. Cinemust. Yes. All right, another Cinemust vote. So, what are your your key two reasons why everybody's got to see Return of the Jedi? Uh, we'll go into details obviously in a bit. But the Emperor lives up to the hype set up in the second movie in Empire Strikes Back. And then, so I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So is my wife. And when I told her that I was going to be on this podcast, she's like, "Oh, which one are you doing?" Return of the Jedi. I was like, oh, the green one. I'm like, yes, the green one. So this one is, I don't know if it was my favorite growing up just because it reminded me of home, like going outdoors, the forests were there, but you have to see it because it's green. Okay. A very naturalistic Star Wars. You guys are both sharing like pieces of your childhood. I actually think this is like really raw and honest. I'm appreciating this. Well, to round it out, I'm going to give my vote. I will also give this a cinema must. I think everyone should see Return of the Jedi. So this is three for three for me. Star Wars movies you absolutely have to see. My best two reasons for why I think everyone's got to see Return of the Jedi. One, I think this is the Star Wars creature feature. This is the movie. Uh, I've often called this the Muppety Star Wars movie. Uh, George Lucas and company really pull out all the stops with Jim Henson's guys to make a lot of creatures. And um, I talked about in the Empire Strikes Back part how um, Empire Strikes Back kind of opens up the galaxy and the locations. I think Return of the Jedi opens up the denizens of the galaxy. There's a lot more monsters and it's uh, very in tune with like the Ray Harryhausen features. Um, And that's really a big draw for me. I think that that's a delightful part of it. 
Second reason, um, the Battle of Endor is pretty great. And I don't usually like on the show to say someone, people have got to see a movie for just like a sequence of it. But this is a sequence that takes up about the entire last 45 minutes of the movie. And for a movie that is a, a finale, as it, it was believed at the time, this was the last Star Wars movie we could get. I think it's a, a pretty great battle that's doing a lot of interesting things, cross-cutting wise, keeping characters involved. Uh, I can I can sympathize with you here, Ryan, that I'm a little more critical of the movie than I think both of you guys are. But when the Battle of Endor hit, uh, it all went out the window. I was having a giddy time and could really lose myself. So I'll stick with it. Cinemas. So, guys, before we move into just backing up these points with more spoilery stuff, every segment on this Star Wars extravaganza episode we're doing, each, each movie has kind of been guided by like an overarching question. So on A New Hope, it's like... We know Star Wars is a big cultural phenomenon. Can you make the point that A New Hope is great filmmaking? And then Empire Strikes Back, it was why is Empire Strikes Back the movie that even non-Star Wars fans like? The question I have for Return of the Jedi, we've all voted it a sin a must. I feel this is the most maligned of the original trilogy. I think it, it goes without saying it's considered the weakest. My question is pretty similar to the one for A New Hope. Can a case be made that really everybody has to see Return of the Jedi for reasons other than if you're going to watch the first two, you might as well just finish up the trilogy. Does this movie speak to people outside of Star Wars fans or a trilogy completionist? The, this is the big question that I think we need to address as we get the discussion going. Uh, so I, I tried going into this wondering what it would be like just to watch this movie. So I like that approach. It it was very difficult. I one of the reasons why I didn't watch the other two, plus I didn't have time. Uh, yeah. I'll, okay. I'll argue with you. A, sure. a solid, firm... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, your take. Yeah, I, I'm up to the task. Maybe a little bit more than the... Yeah, but yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll take it on. Um, it doesn't matter what two movies come before this. There are some compelling parts of this film. We'll, we'll get into it, but it is still very compelling, even in its own right. Okay, I I cannot wait, and we don't have to wait. So, uh, you know, spoilers have been uh, pretty all over the place in terms of this episode. So we'll just lay down our little clip here, and let's get moving into the discussion proper. The emperor has been expecting you. I know, father. So you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. That was why you couldn't destroy me. That's why you won't bring me to your Emperor now. I see you have constructed a new lightsaber. Your skills are complete. Indeed, you are powerful, as the Emperor has foreseen. Come with me. Obi-Wan once thought as you do. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. I will not turn, and you'll be forced to kill me. 
if that is your destiny. Suit your feelings, father. You can't do this. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. It is too late for me, son. The Emperor will show you the true nature of the Force. He is your master now. Okay, guys, so rules have been established. We're looking at this as a very fun, essential trilogy capping movie, and it sounds like uh, while I do like this movie a whole real lot, voted it must. I'm going to be kind of the naysayer. So we've got a lot of points about things that seem to have touched us when we saw this when we were kids. Ezra has it as the green Star Wars movie, and I think we should put that off because I want to start with the beginning of this movie. Because to me, this movie is very oddly paced and George Lucas admits this that Star Wars is conceived as like one big mega movie and then when George Lucas says this is too much to do in one movie I need to split it into three and I need to move some stuff around so I can get funding so he takes the Death Star from the end of his spec script he moves it to New Hope that becomes a New Hope a New Hope becomes a huge success and Star Wars is reborn so George Lucas openly admits that by the time he gets to Return of the Jedi He's moved so much stuff around that he's run out of a lot of thematic weight. So we have the sequence on Tatooine is kind of inserted as a, a kind of a pre-adventure to the movie before like the big finale conflict starts. I think you can go one of two ways on this. I think that the Tatooine stuff either makes the movie or really breaks it as something that's like totally inconsequential. So what do you guys think of this sequence getting Han back from Jabba the Hutt? First of all, I'll say something positive about the re-release cgi i think Ooh. one of the changes that he did make because in the original there was just a static shot of the door and c-3po and r2d2 and in the in the re-release there's a little bit more camera movement and it kind of gives you a sense of the scope of what they're going into this hideout mm -hmm. building that it is not that that has any really relevance to the story i think it's just a more okay. interesting shot um but you know what, a, a positive case for any special edition but I just, I just wanted to get at least one positive <laughs> thing for the for the special editions part um but i think that's really where it starts with a little eye coming out to have a conversation with c3po the six million <laughs> uh, language master uh it starts out fun and you're just introduced in the movie with the adorableness adorableness yeah sure adorability of, of the adorability of r2, of R2 who's yeah. just a sad little robot in the beginning of this movie and uh clueless lovable c3po i think it's a great way to start up this movie and and pretty much how this whole thing started a new hope starts with those two characters and and really ingraining us into the world um so that's kind of a nice way to bring things full circle ezra the rescue on tatooine what's your take I felt like it needed to happen just because the way the last movie ended where everybody sort of like failed at what they're trying to do. And so now this is sort of like some time has passed. Everybody's a little they got this plan going on. And so I, I enjoy that this happened. It does feel like there was actually another movie that could have fit in between these two mm -hmm. where Luke was actually becoming a Jedi Knight and doing stuff because he kind of just does stuff in the beginning. I was like, how did you know how to do that already? Where this word night come from? Yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. There's supposedly a year in between Empire Strikes Back and this one, I believe. Um, right? it's, I don't think it's that much time because the end of Empire Strikes Back is Chewie and Lando leaving for Tatooine. So I don't think that it's a, okay. a big space okay, of time. Okay, okay. I'm going to say something that might shock and amaze both of you. I actually really love this segment of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't hate it. I just 
want more. Oh, I'm not saying you do. I say I opened it, kind of insinuating that I was going to dump all over it and that it totally derails the um, momentum of the movie. I actually really, really like it. It's kind of the linchpin of this point I have about Star. this being the Star Wars creature feature because I think most of the good creatures in this movie are all in the Jabba's palace section. Starting with the big man himself, Jabba the Hutt, who has been <laughs> built up throughout this entire series as like a big vile gangster. So I do think it was great of them to bring him into the third entry. So along with your point about the Emperor, I think he's pretty reasonably lived up to the hype that's been set down for him. I'm always a little disappointed his entrance in the movie isn't more of a big deal. I've always kind of felt like he should have been introduced like the Queen and Aliens, where like someone gets like thrown down at his feet and you don't see him, and then you start at his tail and kind of move his way up to him. But instead, it's kind of just like a smash cut from R2 and 3PO, and then it's just the slug thing. You don't really know it's Jabba the Hutt until... Uh, Bib Fortuna comes and talks to him. But other than that, I, I really like Jabba. I like this adventure. I like building out, you know, kind of making the mega cantina because George Lucas' big complaint in New Hope is like the cantina is not any way he imagined it. So I feel like this was his second chance at getting that right. But also what you said, Ezra, I really like that this does set up the conflict in Luke that he comes in all badass with his black robe and his laser sword, and he just starts taking people out left and right. And of course, the conflict of the the finale is Jedi aren't supposed to be adventure seekers and go for anger and hatred and violence, and that's all he's doing in this opening section. So it does make it believable that he could be tempted as uh, the, the real finale of the movie kicks in. Does this feel like a seedy underworld to you guys, or does it really just feel like fun Muppet stuff? So the only fun Muppet stuff that I really saw on this go around, I couldn't remember if this was originally there, but there's this frog outside of the palace that yeah. sort of like catches this one thing and it sort of like wiggles or wobbles after it's <laughs> like, that's so a Muppet thing. They obviously, yeah. Uh, but within, I used to be so, because we had the old VHSs that would like advertise the behind the scenes VHS yeah. that we never bought because we didn't know how to get <laughs> our hands on that in the early 90s. You didn't have Costco memberships. Exactly. <laughs> hey. uh, special edition wasn't out yet. And we, because I would love, I would watch that trailer over and over again for it just because they would show like people working the puppets, the Muppets basically. And I, I loved that about this one because you're right. This is the creature feature. It wasn't nearly as much in the past movies. Uh, I think probably sexual enslavement and forced dancing is pretty seedy. I don't know. Like, I think it's kind of hard to, I, right? There's some kind of Broadway place where like, I like the Muppet Sesame Street characters are all like potty mouse and all that stuff. I, I don't remember the name of that exactly, but <laughs> like, it, 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 it's kind of that idea, right? To where like, they look so lovable, like the little blue elephant guy. He looks so lovable, yeah. but just playing his little pianos. He's probably killed some people. Yeah, you know, he he might have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has. I don't know. He at least played the soundtrack to somebody's murder. You know, you don't you don't become Jabba the Hutt's piano player without killing at least <laughs> one person with that blue trunk. I'm pretty sure. But I think, uh, and I kill the names. The Fib Nortuna, Bib Fortuna, Bib Fortuna, and, and the then the little figure. the little crow gremlin, Salacious Crumb, Salacious Crumb, which is where. And I think Great that's name. one of the beautiful things of Star Wars. Those names are never said, but I'd say probably the vast majority of Star Wars fans know these names. You go, you go to the toy store and you find out all the names off the action figures. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there's no, the, the word Ewok isn't used in the movie. None of the Ewoks have names in the movie, but we know they're Ewoks. And those are probably from the, the, the special feature, not the special features, but the 
Christmas courage. Yeah, the Christmas. <laughs> I want to say Christmas special, not Doctor Who, but the uh, the, 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 the the contractually obligated uh, specials everyone else appeared in. Yeah, very much. Um, do you guys have a favorite creature inside Jabba's palace? Um, I would say Salacious Crumb for his sound design. That's just a great. <laughs> I I can't even. I I have to try it. <laughs> great sound design for his uh for his whole thing ezra i always like the dismantled droids on the walls <laughs> <laughs> and like 3po being scared by the one when he's like backing up it's like <laughs> yeah nothing yeah. nothing funnier than to see 3po in an uncomfortable situation is the rancor handler the most touching part of star wars well i was gonna i was gonna kind of bring this when i talked about kind of the ways in which i feel turned the jedi let's the trajectory, like the great trajectory of this trilogy down is that it does still nail like a couple of really good moments that are like <laughs> total asides. And that's one of them that, um, that's a great the Rancor handler weeping at the death of his beloved pet <laughs> and is friend, a great moment. His friend's just comforting him. It's yeah. okay, man. We'll get a new Rancor. I don't know what he said to him, but it's just a great moment. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And it, I think it makes up for kind of like the, the hokey dialogue and stuff because, you know, Luke is, is coming in and he's trying way too hard to be way too tough. Um, and, and funny, you should bring up the Rancor, because if I couldn't name Jabba himself, I would say the Rancor is my favorite creature in Jabba's palace, because that's one of the creatures that just, like, really opens up how big. It's no it's no longer like, oh, this is a bar just full of all sorts of weird aliens. Like, there's actually, like, Godzilla-esque monsters, and it's a great hand puppet. I really like the way they shoot it. For 83 and doing an action sequence with a hand puppet, it, of course, the sequence could probably be a little more exciting <laughs> to the, the modern eye, but... That's a lot of fun, and that's where I think like the the pre adventure status of this whole section of the movie is is really charming. That and of course like just taking down everybody on the sail barges, barring a very unfortunate Boba Fett death. So with you mentioning about the Rancor, how it could have been a little bit more action packed, or the way they filmed it, Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, or whatever they're making a bunch of animated shorts from Galaxy of Adventures. Uh huh. Yeah. And there's the Rancor one, and I kept watching that one over and over again. And it's kind of what you imagined Star Wars was, what your memory is. A bunch of the different animators working on it are all super fans. And so they just picked like scenes and stuff like that. So I'm like, that is what I remember it. And then watching it as an adult, I'm like, yeah, it's a puppet. (laughs) <laughs> i mean i i still really like most of the sequence like i nothing makes me happier than him picking up a little gamorian pig guard and, and how wide his chubby little mouth opens to eat it like and he slurps him up like spaghetti like it's really really fun um yeah not to dump but you make an interesting point what's been done with this movie seems to resonate better than the movie itself yet if that's the case how can the movie itself be a movie absolutely everybody has to see why do you ask hard questions this is what I do. Uh, I think it's like one of those influence things, you know, man, where you, you ha- I don't know. You have to watch it. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, like I said, I tried really hard not to love this movie the whole way through. Or not even, I don't know. There's obviously flaws in it. There's lots of things that they could have done better or whatever. But I thoroughly enjoyed myself throughout this entire movie. And if that doesn't like make what a cinema should be or could be in a certain case, then 
Sure. What I mean, what is a cinemust then? What is? Who, like who knows? So so let me let me challenge you on this because we have we have this section of the movie and then we move on. It ends with a big bang and I I clocked it. It's a full thirty seven minutes before we're off Tatooine. We've got the Millennium Falcon back and we're going to where this movie like is really headed. The big showdown with the Empire, Luke coming to terms with his destiny, and that Darth Vader is his father. I think the middle section of this movie is a mess and you Ezra had talked earlier about the um there there's like another movie in the in-between of like Luke Skywalker becoming a Jedi I feel like most of the Endor stuff while it is tied into the plot proper feels like a side adventure of a star of the Star Wars universe that got appropriated to being into like this big finale because there's a lot of weird exposition and then to keep characters busy there's this thing that's fun with C-3PO being a golden god to the Ewoks. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're also here. Like, there's big questions. You know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. We've met the Emperor. Like, there's another Death Star. There's this huge showdown coming. Why are we spending time on this and, like, a really overacted scene where Leia has to come to terms with being Luke's sister? Does the middle part of this movie still fall into your statement that you enjoyed yourself the entire way through? It's a very tough question. Um... So let's just do like a quick, quick high-level overview of what happens. Let's do it. So the pit, the Sarlacc pit. Sarlacc pit. Sarlacc pit. We leave the Sarlacc pit. We then go to one of two places, either the Rebel base or to we, Dagobah. Um, Dagobah. We go to Dagobah and the Rebel fleet. Yoda's always great. Yoda is great. Yoda is always great. Let's just not think too... Let's just not think too in-depth about anything. Yoda's great. Alex Guinness is great. He thinks everything he's doing is awful, but he's great. Uh, we're at the Rebel base, and then we're on Endor. The middle section, C-3PO as a deity god, even though his programming says he can't be a deity. I'm still all in. <laughs> I mean, really, like, at the end of the day, I think we can... And I don't know. I think this is something that maybe Star Wars fandom it kind of is. I think sometimes we can get so in the weeds to where, like, if we just pull back, even if it is messy, I still think that what is happening on a certain level is still very entertaining. And, you know, I, I do like that they are keeping 3PO busy because he's just spent the entirety of Empire Strikes Back just being a thorn in Han Solo's side. <laughs> so it, it is kind of nice for him to get his revenge and be like their their golden ticket out of that situation. I really like his story to the Ewoks with all the sound <laughs> effects and everything going on. Like that That's... recaps the past two movies a bit. And then the Ewoks sort of like discuss for a second and then they cheer. And he's like, what happens? Like we're part of their tribe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, so that point I made earlier about like those small kind of aside moments that Star Wars movies like really nail that. That's another one. I think this the campfire stories sequence is so good for not only recapping events of the movie, but there's kind of a whimsy to it and also infusing itself with that these movies themselves are a kind of story that is passed down from generations. And, you know, the Ewoks reaction to this story is the same as, you know, parents who love Star Wars are passing it on to their kids. I guess I'll throw out the the third one while we're talking about these moments that I just love. And I'm like, well, how is this great of a moment in this movie? During the Battle of Endor, we see an Ewok die. Two of them get blasted. And you have to deal with one of them trying to shake his friend up. And that's in the middle of this, like, really fun sequence of them, like, beating stormtroopers with rocks. I think that's a really, really good moment. So George Lucas says that these are for kids and how adults mostly complain because of this and that. And he's like, well, they're for kids. That's why I made them. And the storytelling sort of 
spells that out for you, like a lot of different things that happen. But then there are those moments yeah. where people are dying. You don't typically see that in like cartoons. There's always like, hey, look, a parachute. You didn't really get blown up in that yeah. airplane. <laughs> um, so I, I like that they don't really pull the punches too much, but they do over explain certain things like Han Solo's. I don't know if it's his lines, but he'll he'll do that. But I I think Harrison Ford look gives a very uninteresting performance, and I know that's because he didn't want to be in the movie. Um, but that's that's another thing that I think I'm coming up against this dilemma because I'm with you, Ezra. I know that these are made for kids, and that they are made not to take themselves super seriously. They are meant to be fun morality tales of clear-cut distinctions between good and evil. And I find myself disappointed in Return of the Jedi for teasing at these ideas of destiny and Luke's temptation and the redemption of Darth Vader. And they are kind of just given lip service. They're kind of only addressed through really straightforward, cheesy lines of dialogue. And maybe looking for more darkness and depth in that is my mistake. Because, you know, to me, like Han Solo, it makes sense... For this point in the, his arc that he is like the good guy like he volunteers for assignments now he doesn't have the the death mark on his head anymore from java he's free he wants to be with leia he wants to fight for the right thing it's just not as fun as when he's a scoundrel and he's dodging uh ships and stuff like the funnest part is when they're sneaking past the um star destroyer blockade and they're trying to fly casual <laughs> <laughs> ryan when i asked you if you would like to co-host this segment of the episode with us I honestly didn't know how you'd take it because I didn't know your affiliation with Star Wars. I didn't know if this was a thing you grew up with. I was so surprised by your response because you were first exuberantly, yes, I would love to. And then the next words out of your mouth were, I will defend Ewoks to my dying day. So we might as well address the elephant in the room. I don't get it, but the most maligned thing in this movie are little adorable creatures called Ewoks. Are they a draw of this movie to you? First, I want to address Han Solo. Even though the scoundrel Han Solo is more fun, I think some of the most fun moments in this movie are with Han Solo. One of which, and another positive things about the re-release. Okay. When they they change his dialogue from, trust me, Lando, when he's holding Lando mm. over the pit, to, I can barely see. It's a great change. It's a funny change. I can see a lot better. I can see a lot better. Whatever he says. It's a funny change. I like trust me I like better, it. actually. I like it that like he's still blind. He's just like, willing <laughs> to take the shots. Um that's another good moment is Lando going a little higher, a little higher. That's a good moment. Uh, the next one that I really like okay. is Han telling C-3PO to say all these different things. And then he says, <laughs> and then at the end, he says, uh, uh, make it quick. And then C-3PO does his double take with his little head. Great moment. Um, so I think though Han isn't a scoundrel. Oh, and when he closes the blast doors on that the, is the good, back door. Yeah, yeah, great that's, moment. That's a great moment. I got it. And then his face. That's a great moment. Do, and, and of course, the reversal of I love you, I know, right, is a good payback right, from Empire. Of course. Great. Do we not like Ewoks or do we not like that they were merchandise? I think it's really hard to separate the years and years and years of fandom and entrenched belief about these films and what we actually see on film and what we're actually experiencing. I think the Ewoks are very delightful. <laughs> I love them. I don't care that it seems pretty, pretty outlandish that the Emperor had all of these uh, Sith feelings and knew exactly how this plan was going to go out. And they were thwarted by rock sticks and trees smashing uh, um, 
Is it at at Walker's? Yeah, at at Walker's at head. ATSG. It was like a pimple. Like, like, is it kind of crazy that this is like how this all comes comes apart? So, it is, but it is fun the entire time, and that is enough so for in, me. In terms of things I didn't think I would ever say uh, about this, George Lucas in his you know backpedaling trying to explain the inner workings actually kind of won me over to this. Um, I, in the new he- in the new hope segment, I went off about like I really wish he could just admit like I was making a movie, I was under budget and time constraints. Like it is this way because that's how it was. But with with that whole thing and you know it's stupid that these little teddy bears could beat the empire. He makes a pretty strong case for they don't necessarily beat the empire. They're really the diversion. So half of their job is just taking fire while the the people who are actually capable can um, get in and get the job done. Well, yeah, Han Solo even points that out when he's like, oh no, we just lost one of them. What's he going to do? Oh, he's going to blow our cover or something. Not cover, but yeah. And then he like zooms away on the speeder bike. The others go and he's like, ah, we just got one now. <laughs> we got this. I like that moment a lot. That's, and that's one of the goofier kid moments of the movie when the Ewok takes off on the speeder bike. The, it's so funny and Makes them like a force, like they can actually help in their own way. I mean, I, I think this very Lost Boys, Peter Pan sequence. What are they really doing? I mean, they're waving in front of a, a, a windshield. They're, they're throwing <laughs> rocks. They're really not doing a whole lot. But what they're doing is just effective enough that Han and Leia and everybody can save the day. And, and while we're talking about that sequence, just something that's always bugged me. It, it always bothers me how much this saga refuses to cash in on the idea that Chewie is capable of tearing people's arms out of their sockets. And I know this probably isn't the movie to do it, but I want him to do it at some point in the saga. I'm really holding out hope for Rise of Skywalker. Real dark. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do I feel like he already did? He might, I don't think he has. So this question is actually a really great question. Do we hate Ewoks? Do we hate the way they're merchandised? Because I think that extends to basically everything in Star Wars, because everything in Star Wars is Star Wars because it was merchandised. And that's the, the key point of people who hate Star Wars is some people say it ruined movies and yet others say like it it ruined movie making because it made it about who has the merchandising rights. That's where the real money is after Star Wars where it wasn't like that before. Okay. So if we're going with that, there are certain reasons why completely unrelated to Star Wars, except it might be because merchandising, why certain TV shows are taken off the air like cartoons because the toys don't sell well because Star Wars set this precedence that merchandising helps you have money to fund further projects. So I kind of have a love-hate relationship sure. with it. As, as do we all, George Lucas especially. I like funding so that people can continue making things that I like, but I also, I'm, I'm not the guy who buys tons and tons of Episode One figures before the movie comes out anymore. I used to be. It's because they don't come with the little chips that make them talk now, huh? I still have one of those. <laughs> Which one is it? Just... RCD2. Okay. <laughs> That's yet a I was like where it was Qui-Gon or something. <laughs> I, and I don't, I don't think, do, do the Ewoks, like where they live, does it, does it make sense? Does it make sense that these little tiny people would build their forts up in the air so that way they couldn't get reached by bigger animals yep. on this tree-infested planet? Like, yeah, they're little tiny teddy bear, grizzly bear things up in trees. Like, it just kind of makes sense. I agree. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Ewoks. I, yeah. They actually, make sense. I'm I'm not I'm kind of coming at this as like other people say this. I like you. Ewoks are also in this point about it being a creature feature. We've not only got scary stuff like Jabba and the Rancor, we have fun little allies. Are Ewoks the easy out to for Star Wars fandom to say this is not for kids? 
Or it's and too they, much for kids. And, or what, this is not for kids. The Ewoks were bad. So they are the thing that is out of place in this movie. Not, like you said, the other things that are kind of more shoehorned in. The more right. destiny-driven things. Yeah. That they, they keep it from being the deeper, darker story that you know our adult selves probably crave. I feel, as an adult, I still like the Ewoks. Growing, I don't know if it's because I grew up with it. But, like, that never bothered me, the merchandising stuff. I think just as the more and more that I hear other people's cyn yeah. cynicism about it and merchandising and stuff, it's on my radar, but it still doesn't bother me with that. Mm -hmm. Porgs is kind of like the, the yeah. modern Ewoks yeah, for yeah, that yeah. one. I feel like everything can have their thing. Do we really see a lot of Ewoks anymore? Uh, yeah, it, I feel like no. they just move on to whatever the current one yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, when but... criticizing this movie now, I think citing the merchandising think... is really hard to be a valid criticism anymore I, for I, this specific movie. Yeah, I, I actually think the thing that incites the most fury about it now is Boba Fett's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another, that's just a purely fandom thing. That's, I don't think... It's bad. Uh, <laughs> so, so granted, though, I'm not going to hop on the train of, like, Boba Fett was a great character. I think he's very cool in Empire, but there is... He needed to go someplace, and then Jedi just very curtly took him nowhere. Because Han bumps into him. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's defeated by a blind moron and digested over a thousand years. I, I mean, of course, there's there's all sorts of extended universe he gets out. We are only talking Return of the Jedi on this show. Um, <laughs> there's an after credit scene, don't worry about it. So, so Ryan, um, I just have to ask all this talk of Ewoks. Has this adequately made your point about justice for Yubnub, or is that more relating to um, the revisions made in the special editions, the, the so-called corrections? I think a lot of the additions are, are really bad. I think when we're coming into Jabba's palace, the sand dunes look so bad. And like a, a, a lot of the changes they made are, are not good, are bad. I think Yubnub is not only a Star Wars classic, but an American classic. <laughs> the song they changed it so, to has no life. It does not encapsulate the ending of one of the craziest and most awesome cinematic trilogies of all time. It does not capture that. Too much flute, not enough Stormtrooper helmet drums. <laughs> I need more Stormtrooper. I, I sound there. facetious. They're there. I sound facetious, but I'm dead serious. Yubnub is a much better song than the new one they put in. I'm you're you're right because Ooh, that's yeah. all I hear. Like when the end credits are going, I just start zoning out to my own song because I grew up with that. That's what I know. I'm like, ah, Coruscant, toppling of the statue. Like, no, it's Yub Nub. Yub Nub. Okay, I'm gonna push back. <laughs> yub Nub. Because <laughs> this is a case of like I can't argue with your nine year old selves. <laughs> But I, I'm a little bit bigger of a fan. You know, the, the new musical cue John Williams writes, I, I'm not going to go to bat for like, great, we're back on Naboo and there's Gungans. Awesome. But <laughs> John Williams, you know, kind of more flute pan version of the, the main theme, I think, is a, is a more suiting musical cue to this big finale that this horrible empire that has dominated the galaxy has finally been overthrown fits better to me than seven people and a bunch of Ewoks having a little party. Okay, I'll, I'll push back on that. Okay. If you give me an ending where Luke is looking off to a couple moons or something like that, right? We just ended this trilogy. If you give me an ending like that, okay. 
I can buy that. Okay. The flute pan thing that can work for me. But, but burning his father's corpse—that's solely. That's not where we end. That's not where we end, and we do get good music over that moment. But the ending of Star Wars, whether or not you remember it or not, is a bunch of friends at an Ewok bonfire having a good time in what they've just accomplished. You still get and that, and that is Yubnub territory. I want Yubna playing over that <laughs> before the other the other thing. Uh, I gotta admit, I didn't think that this was where this was going. <laughs> okay, so I, so I guess like you know, along with you know the the must trust bust votes for all four movies, I guess we have to put like a fifth question on the the site poll. That's like, do we need to put Yubna back in? <laughs> Does it Yubna? Does it Yubna? <laughs> um, so let's let's kind of move over to the the big subplot here. Return of the Jedi hinges on the redemption of Darth Vader. And I think that we we can get at this through your point Ezra. You say one of the reasons Return of the Jedi is a movie everybody has to see. We've had this domineering overlord figure of the emperor built up over the course of two movies. We're finally introduced to him. You say he delivers. Tell us about that. Uh so for me it comes down to the intro of the emperor in this movie before he actually steps aboard it's when vader goes to the death star 2.0 i don't know what we're calling this uh the death star and he's talking with the guy who's overseeing everything he's like you're you're not doing it as fast as you should the emperor wants it faster and he's like we're doing the best we can we need more people and he's like the emperor is not as forgiving as i am and it was like He's not as forgiven as you, the one who chokes people from galaxies away <laughs> for, I don't even remember what it was, but okay, I want to see that guy. And then as he's introduced more and more, you realize just how how integral to everything the Emperor is, because just watching Star Wars, I was always like, oh, Vader's the big bad. And then you get Empire and you see the hologram and you're like, okay, so Vader has a superior. And then you see how submissive Vader is to mm -hmm. him. And, like, even when he realized, like, Luke was um, on the planet and he comes in and he's like, I told you to stay over on the base or something like that. The Emperor was talking to Vader. And I was like, yeah, why did he, like, disobeying him right now? Like, he knows he could be punished almost. That sort of, like, fear yeah. within him. Uh, but he's like, my son's there. I feel like the Emperor adds way more depth to it. Just watching the movie, but without focusing on it. So like watching the movie to enjoy it there it's subtle the things that happen but when you're actually focusing on certain things or one particular character and how they interact with all these other people then you start noticing how submissive vader is to him and stuff like that mm -hmm. ryan victor your takes on the introduction of the emperor to the franchise yeah no i i think that i think that's really good um it is really cool to see Darth Vader kind of have that kind of quaking in his boots. Um, but I, I am here for the Ewoks, um, but not really. Actually, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the ending is, is, I think, one of the best parts of the, the movie easily because it's the end of, you know, it is the capper. Um, but I think you said it really good. Yeah, I do think it's a, a good there. It introduces a dare we call it a Shakespearean element to this movie because I do, I do like the the ground or the groundwork that's laid out that Vader is trying to draw Luke over so that they can overthrow the Emperor and they can rule the galaxy the Emperor is trying to get Luke to kill his dad so that he can have a new young apprentice that's not confined to the suit that I, I like the cat and mouse and like you said Ezra that's that stuff is pretty subtle and very fun and I think that that's 
really nicely juxtaposed with uh, my second point, the Battle of Endor, because on the ground we have the the fun chaos of the Ewoks taking out the ground troops. Up in the skies we have the exhilarating... I, I can only imagine like what George Lucas's original vision for the Death Star battle from A New Hope would have been. Now he has the money to do it. The, all the all the stuff with the fighter squadron, I think, is is great special effects work. And again, like really opens up like what the original vision George Lucas had for this whole saga was, because that stuff's relatively unchanged in the new versions. Um, but I like this juxtaposed with like the quiet moments of defeat as as Luke is watching his friends get trapped and beaten down and he's slowly being brought like that seething anger is brought up over a couple of scenes. Um, I think it makes his explosion really good. And let's talk about another moment that I, I think is nailed is Darth Vader's watching his son get tortured and decides I may be a son of a bitch, but I'm not going to stand for this. <laughs> And then we know what happened in 2011 when they ruined that moment by making Darth Vader scream no. No! <laughs> in case you couldn't read what was happening. No! Oddly enough, the mask emotes. Yeah. Like the way the lighting and everything works. The lightning on it's really good. It's great. I didn't need that. No. Yeah, it's really bad. I And I've, I swore like when we, when we put into place that we were going to do the Star Wars movies, like, I didn't want to get bogged down into all this, like, special edition, you know, we, we went the entire New Hope thing without addressing the Han shot first thing, because it's not interesting, but <laughs> this, this is the moment that just really, really <laughs> kills me, because there's, there's an emotional weight to that in the original cut of him just silently, and, and I'm totally with you, Ezra, like, emoting through a completely static mask, and then just making that lurch to pick the dude up with one hand and hurl him off was so good. Um, yeah, if if there was one thing I could take out of the entire original trilogy that they redid, it's definitely that. I put a rock in front of R2, make Ewoks blink, do <laughs> do your bad Moss Eisley intro stuff. It's all good. Take the no out of Return of the Jedi. That's my justice for <laughs> <laughs> Yep, no. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I think about that I, I really like for it for this kids movie this little tiny kids movie is this I think there's a really cool idea that the emperor's plan is to get Luke up here and watch his friends die and let that hate bubble up and turn him mm -hmm. bad when in reality what happens is Vader watching his son come to the brink of death and that fear and anger turns him back to the to the good side light side yeah. it's it, and that's tricky because we say this movie is about the redemption of darth vader and it doesn't really seem like this one moment redeems you know decades of genocide and stuff <laughs> you know it's it's a good thing yeah. he dies i guess is what i'm saying i can't let my son die but i can do order 66 and let a whole <laughs> slew of them go a little different <laughs> Um, yeah, what's, um, what do you guys think about the, the big reveal of Vader? Because we've been talking about a lot about, like, things that are built up over three movies. You know, we have mentions of Jabba the Hutt. We have the Emperor finally showing up. And here we finally get to see what's under the mask. What were your reactions to this as a kid? I, so we had the novelization of A New Hope growing up, which in it there's a line or a page of Obi-Wan talking to uh, Luke about his father and how he died in a volcano and stuff like that, like where he was fighting. And so when I saw him like scarred and everything, like, Oh, it's from the volcano. He, it's lava burns. It's great. And, but otherwise he was looked like an old man. And I'm like, Oh, that's so weird. As a kid, 
though I started watching the the original versions, the original cuts of it, I do remember the whiter, powdery, more volcanic ash burned version of him. But I think watching it this time around, it was. Re I think it's really effective, and it's really good to see kind of the almost the pathetic version of what he's come to the the shell of Darth Vader and and everything that comes with that was so much more than what Anakin because Anakin hasn't grown or developed in, in years and years and years and he years di he died he died a long time ago and so when you see you know Anakin again once the mask is taken off I think it, that's conveyed really well how kind of um, pathetic he is now mm-hmm it's an interesting choice, and I actually kind of have to applaud the movie for it because as a kid, you know, you like there's a monster under there, right? Like, you know, this homicidal maniac, and for like you said, for it to be a a pale, scared old man is is really unsettling, and I think it's still unsettling now. But I, I think there's some thematic depth to that. Um, if we can look at Darth Vader as just a big bully to a very extreme degree, he's really scared and weak inside. And, you know, if we want to if we want to go along with this thread that I'm sure we've been building up all through this this whole 50th episode extravaganza, that there are underlying fairy tale messages in these movies. And I think Return of the Jedi is maybe weakest of the three, but it does still have little, little themes like that. I was just looking over my notes and there was a part I kind of did like a what the premises of the whole movie, just like all the little points like rescue your friend. Uh, stop the construction of the ultimate weapon, get help from the locals, confront the emperor, find the emperor, planned slash foresaw all this. It's a trap, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, rescue your father or die trying because Luke was all in on, if I'm, I'm yeah. going to try, yeah. I'm going to rescue him. And if not, going to take them all down mm -hmm. or something like I'm, I plan on not coming out of this. And, you know, I've, I've said I'm not a huge fan of the performances in this movie, but I do really like how Mark Hamill's performance in the script do allow him to make like those extreme statements, but he still wavers. Like he, he doesn't say he's going to do something and then stick with it. Like he still gets really angry. He still fights. He's still like out of his element. So I do like that. He's not just a wunder kid because a, a service level reading of the movie is like you were saying, Ezra, all of a sudden between getting the crap kicked out of him at the end of empire to the beginning of Jedi, he's just unstoppable. And I, you know, when you look under the surface, he's not, totally unstoppable this this movie still is like the trial of luke skywalker to become a jedi and that's why confronting vader is his last test did i cut you off i'm so sorry no that makes sense for what yoda was saying before he yoda was wise <laughs> obi-wan not so much i i liked what you said ryan you know alec guinness is great but he's given some bad material in this but the, the certain point of view speech is is really ham-fisted and bad so going on to another random point that I had of the fan service in this, and I don't even know if that's what they called it back then, but a ghost type of person that you would see, they wouldn't just like sit down on a tree stump. And I, every time I see him sit down, I was like, ah, it's like, he's just so casual about it. He like, <laughs> doesn't even care. He's like, what? I can do Classic whatever I want Obi -Wan. now. <laughs> fan service. So in, in a few short moments, our listeners are going to be whisked away 33 years in the future, or 32, to talk about Force Awakens. And I'm sh of course, a big part of that conversation is going to be rehashing the same plot points over and over. Do you guys think Return of the Jedi, in many ways, is, is uninspired and is still rehashing a lot of what's come before it? Or is it unique? Maybe that's why we saved David for the final one, because he'll just rehash everything we said. That's my very nice. <laughs> um, I'm going to say no, just because this is a different version of Luke. 
than any of the two previous movies. So even though maybe some of the high-level elements may be the same, and maybe it might even be unearned because we haven't seen him develop into this kind of, you know, hardcore Jedi that 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 he is. Um, but uh, he's coming at it from a different angles. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Okay, fair enough. I think it's unique enough. So I was actually thinking your question that you just asked because I wasn't sure what movie you were focusing okay. on. We're all we're I all Return actually, of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. But I. Because that question could be applied to like Force Awakens. Is it rehashing a New Hope? Which and I'm it, sure and you'll it talk will be about. applied. Yes, um, that's that's Force Awakens' big question. So that's one of those things that you can ask about a lot of things because themes kind of go back and forth on certain things. Kind of have to happen. So if you're rehashing it, it's like reskinning something. So it might mm -hmm. have the same elements or story structure. But there's different beats that happen or different as long as like the character can grow or you can show something different go happening on with the universe. I don't know. Then, yeah, I'm fine with this one. I think that it, it tells enough of its own story. I also think that the scene where um, Vader and Luke are fighting and we get this tracking shot to the left um, and we, we pass through like a staircase while they're fighting kind of in the darkness. When I think of Star Wars, I don't know if that was in like a trailer or like something that I watched, maybe like behind the scenes footage or something, but that is what I think of when I think of hmm. Star Wars is that one shot in the darkness, the good and the bad, the red and the green clashing for the fate of the universe. So when I think of Star Wars, I think of that. So if there's rehash elements of this movie, I think um, those images alone give it legs on it for itself very nice okay my my final tough question what if anything does return of the jedi do best out of the four star wars films we're covering on this episode i just want to say young yum <laughs> i just want to say yum no that, that's that's not the answer though you know it, it, it's a, it's a really hard question and i think that might be the antithesis of does this movie stand on its own or is it the ideal capper of the, the trilogy? I think it does. It's green. It's green. <laughs> it's green. Have we adequately made that point for you? We spent a lot of time talking about Endor and its beauty. The last climate that Star Wars hadn't explored at this time. We had the desert. We had <laughs> ice. We had clouds. The only thing left was trees. California, <laughs> specifically. <laughs> is this the best on-planet... Ooh. aircraft chase no. sequence no chase maybe speeder bikes because speeder bikes is really fun and and i think you know in both the speeder bike sequence and the battle of endor like the the scale of speed so like when the falcon is flying through the tunnels of the death star that stuff is just okay. fantastic okay. like the effects yeah. and model work on that is amazing because you as soon as they go in and they and they punch out escaping the explosion like I, I'm still finding myself like yeah. gripping the armrest because right, you can feel right. the enclosure of the space and just how fast these things are moving through. That's it. not on planet though. That's not on planet. On planet, aerial bike motor motorbike chasing. Chase, yeah, but there's not. I think it's like the only chase in a Star Wars movie or from the original Star Wars movies. By default, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it has the best. On planet motorbike chasing. Okay. Okay. If we're going that route, we did it. 
<laughs> so can we replace the yub nub justice thing with that point? So your your new second point is speeder bikes are the best on planet chase sequence in the original Star Wars trilogy. Far less passionate about that than yub. <laughs> what? Now, what was your one thing? What is your one thing? If Maybe. this if this movie stands a chance at doing anything better than New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Force Awakens, I think it might be the creature work. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I think that's it. I, I think it, I, you know, like I said, I love the space battle. I love the drama of the Emperor and Vader and Luke, but it's all be- it's all better elsewhere, you know. But the the creature work, I think that's where this one really stands. I think it might beat the other ones that we're talking about. So this is all to say. And I guess this is the worst pace in the world to reveal it because I should have done it up front. My reason 2.5, even though I voted this Cinemust, is that I don't have the gumption to rebel against my own question. To me, I don't necessarily think that The Return of the Jedi as a standalone movie is a must-see movie. I think its status as a great must-see movie is getting tacked on to the third chapter in a great trilogy. It's a movie I really, really like, but... It just doesn't have enough connective tissue. It's it's trying to sew things together so fast that you just kind of lose the, the things you miss from the first two movies that had a, a lot of purposeful leisure. You know, there's a, there's a lot of lounging and indulging in moments that don't really go anywhere. And then it's all on Return of the Jedi all of a sudden to wrap everything up really, really quickly because New Hope and Empire Strikes Back had, you know maybe two plot points that they had to get through and you had two hours to do it. And here's poor Return of the Jedi that's like, well, we got to talk about like the lost Skywalker and we got to redeem Darth Vader and we got to deal with the fact that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. So it's it's a little unfortunate that all that got pushed onto Return of the Jedi. I think it makes the other two movies stronger, but it ultimately hurts this one, I feel. But maybe you guys feel differently. Do you feel this conversation has adequately proved that as a standalone movie, Return of the Jedi is absolutely a cinema must? When you phrase it like that, I feel like a jerk if I say yes. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> Thanks. I, I feel like know. a jerk. For its, I'm, I'm the John Simon and you're Siskel and Ebert. I am. <laughs> I still, this movie makes children really stupid. <laughs> it makes them imaginative. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's very difficult to say, no, it's impossible for this movie to stand alone. I think ultimately it is. I think it's like taking the third act out of a end sure. story. Sure. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's exactly. I really don't disagree. I'm still sticking with my Cinemust vote. To me, it just, um, it doesn't stick the landing as much as you really want it to. And you, and you make a, a lot of really good cases for why it's still worth seeing. But, you know, to me, it's just poor third brother in line. I think maybe it's worth seeing to have the memories about it. Because sure. I feel like my memories about the movie... Not even just like my childhood memories of it, but just certain things. Like you kind of glaze over some scenes of like, okay, it's kind of slow right now. But Endor, having like Jabba's sail barge, having the Emperor electrocuting Luke, like all of those things I feel like are key for the Star Wars idea of what your memory has about, oh, this is Star Wars. You have your lightsaber fight. It needs to be there. You have to watch it. Very well said. This is this is the dumbest thing I think I've ever said. But yep, no. you <laughs> not you have no. You didn't call uh, your grandpa <laughs> racist on this episode on the show. <laughs> he doesn't know what a podcast is. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, internet. I'm gonna fax him. <laughs> just due to the fact that you need um you need the context of the father reveal. There's not much in the previous two uh 
episodes or movies. There's not much in the way of who his dad is or anything like that. But you need that epic, groundbreaking, pop culture shattering parental lineage reveal for this movie to have that context. I I think the Endor stuff and and uh, and uh, Jabba's place and all that stuff, sure it could stand alone. But just because there's the thread, which is the main thread still to this day of Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, mm-hmm. is that Vader is Luke's father. So it can't stand alone. It's just, yeah. it's, just it's not going to happen. I love it. Well, guys, this has been lively, fun, and spirited. Um, honestly, like a, a great conversation about a movie that I was kind of dreading talking about the most. So I owe that all to you guys. Thank you so much. Any final words about Return of the Jedi? I'm really excited for the smallest, furriest, <laughs> yub nub <laughs> yub nub Ewok David Sandu to talk about <laughs> to talk about The Force Awakens <laughs> I'm excited I'm excited David I love you <laughs> very good Ezra I I hope you didn't have anything like actually like good to say because I don't know if you're going to be able to top that <laughs> no <laughs> Have fun, David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Of course, feeding our, our beloved rivalry between Ryan Victory and David Sandu on this show. And yeah, very much looking forward to he has taken every opportunity on about every show he's hosted to talk about how he's not cool with The Force Awakens being included in the thousand and one movies you must see before you die. So I am so excited to kick it over to him and Jonathan Smith for this final chapter in our 50th episode Star Wars Extravaganza. Ryan and Ezra, thank you so much for walking us through Return of the Jedi. Any final words to segue us over to that lovable little Ewok, Mr. Sandu? <laughs> yep, nope. Yep, yep, yep. Dun, 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 dun. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, here we are at last, the fu- the fourth and final segment of our 50th episode, Star Wars Extravaganza, discussing 2015's The Force Awakens, and there's nobody I would rather be joined by than two of our ultimate foundational hosts. First up, you know him as the host of our shows on Princess Mononoke, Rashomon, and Mad Max Fury Road, Jonathan Smith. How's it going, Jonathan? Pretty good. Glad to be here. Great to have you. And also with us, the uh, the aforementioned furriest, yub-nubbiest Ewok in the galaxy. You know him as the host of our episodes on Psycho, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and The Bride of Frankenstein, David Sandu. What's up, yub-nub? I don't know that I want to dignify that with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ryan Victory, if you're listening, if you're out there and you actually give a crap, you're like the C-3PO of my life. <laughs> I just feel like... <laughs> You are constantly hitting me on the head and worrying me with your anxiety. Listen, the reality is, is that you're Greedo and you think that you shot first, but I did. 
Wait, if you're an Ewok, though, doesn't that mean you worship C-3PO? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta give this one to Victory, man. You know what? Victory, I'm not gonna lie. That was a good one. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It was was pretty good, but um, you know what? You get the last laugh, guys. You are you are part of the big finale of uh, our Star Wars extravaganza, talking about the first in a new trilogy. And this one is very interesting because up to this point, you know, we've been discussing an original trilogy, something that has a trajected beginning, middle, and end. And here we are talking The Force Awakens, a story that has yet to receive its cap. We eagerly await the rise of Skywalker in a couple of months. So this is a uh, you know, this is this is fresh new territory, I think. Star Wars, kind of for a new generation, and one that we don't know the end road on. So I'm really excited to talk through this one with you guys. Um, people know the the deal by now. We're, we're rolling along with our general impressions, our votes, and so far the it's been overwhelmingly positive. Straight cinemust votes through the entire original trilogy, so I'm excited to see how we're going to go on this one. But before we can do that, David, you've got the short straw on giving us the plot summary for The Force Awakens. Sure. So, after an exciting beginning, the Dark Lord, uh, Sith villain, and the Resistance have a bit of a struggle at the beginning of the film and lose a droid that has really valuable information on a desert planet, and a ragtag team come together to try to take down a giant machine that can destroy planets. Okay, I thought you were going to do the, uh, but enough about A New Hope, you guys. But um, but uh, but uh, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was I supposed to make a difference from that? It's really difficult. <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah, a, a point that is definitely going to come up. I've, I've, uh, I've beat this to death that each of these movies has had kind of an overarching question to them that's been addressed throughout the discussion that A New Hope was, can we justify it as a great piece of filmmaking rather than marketing? Uh, Empire, you know, why is Empire the one people like, even non-Star Wars fans? Uh, Return of the Jedi's was, is, is can we justify it being a must-see movie outside of it just being like, well, you might as well just complete the trilogy if you're going to watch the first two. And yeah, I think the obvious question for Force Awakens is, um, is it more than just New Hope 2.0? So I guess we'll, we'll get into that, but I kind of need to know where you guys are coming from generally. So before I ask you for your votes, I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every other host this episode. Your relationship to Star Wars, what's your story? Is this something that you carry with you from childhood? Did it come later? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? I just want to know your background. So Jonathan, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I think I've loved Star Wars ever since I was a kid. Something that I grew up with and um, that I followed through most of my life. My dad was a big fan. He got to see the some of the original ones in theaters. And so he shared that love of sci-fi and Star Wars with me. Um, I saw all the prequels in theaters, was excited for all of them. And coming into Force Awakens, I was really excited too. I don't know. I I like the video games a lot. I like the lore. I haven't read a lot of Star Wars, but it's something that I like a lot, but don't I don't know a lot about it. I'm not super deep in Star Wars, but I love it and it's I think it's fun every time and I love the just the mythology and the world and the fun times and yeah. So I'd say I'm a not a hardcore Star Wars fan, but I love Star Wars through and through. Very cool. And David, I can't believe this discussion's never come up as long as we've known each other. What's your relationship with Star Wars? When I was seven years old, I, uh, we were living with uh, another family, and uh, well, my mom was pregnant with my uh, douchebag of a little brother, Stefan, and <laughs> this woman that we were living with showed me Star Wars for the first time, and I fell in love with it ever since. My mom hates Star Wars. She never watched, she tried to watch it when it came out. She thought it was really boring when Star Wars first opened. She went to go see uh, the same opening weekend for uh, 
Saturday Night Fever. She went to go see that instead of Star Wars, and she does not regret her decision. And uh, ever since then, I've loved it. I was a huge fan as a kid. I watched those early CBS um, uh, VHSs, and then I got the restored editions in the 90s and uh, actually think that those ones still hold up. And I, I've just been a huge fan ever since. The, the only thing is, though, I, I've never, similar to Jonathan, I've never really read, like, the extended universe. I'm not really interested in that too much. I do like the Clone Wars. I think the Clone Wars was a masterpiece. So I've watched all of that stuff. And I even remember watching the Ewok movies that I starred in as a child. And um, I've seen those. <laughs> <laughs> I own one. I, I own one of them. <laughs> but I love it. I've, I love, I've always loved Star Wars. I recognize it's not a perfect franchise. And I'm not like uh, one of those toxic fans. It's like, it has to be this way. But I love it. And I think it is fantastic. And I often think about... How old does my child have to be when I start showing them Star Wars? And what <laughs> order do I show them in? Because I really want them to uh, be surprised in Empire. Those are like the big parenting questions of this generation. Um, I don't know if you've come up against that yet, Jonathan, as a father. Do you know like the, the appropriate age uh, to show these to your daughter? Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Um, she's seen a couple Godzilla movies already, so we're starting her off strong. But uh, for Star Wars, yeah... Um, that's a good question. She's three right now, so probably not old enough. But in a couple years, we'll get there. <laughs> when she's four, then she'll finally be able to grasp. Like, what? Yep. Darth Vader. What? <laughs> well, guys, it sounds like I got you um, for the right movie. Quite the controversial entry in the series, Force Awakens. No less controversial uh, due to it being the only one of this new trilogy so far to be included in 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, which, of course, makes it eligible for our show and why we have tacked it on with the original trilogy. So you guys are fans, we got some positive vibes towards Star Wars, but that doesn't guarantee how you're going to feel about The Force Awakens, so I want to get your votes on paper official. So Jonathan, let's start with you. Cinema, Cinetrust, or Cinebust, how are you going to vote for The Force Awakens, and can you give us two reasons why? Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying I think I'm right on the line, but I still, after watching it again, I think I've, I voted a Cinemust. Okay, so. movie for everybody. It's, it's the kind of thing that every time I think about it, it kind of moves down, but then I watch it again, and I, it recaptures the magic for me. So um, my two reasons for why it's in a must-it is I just love the characters of this new franchise a lot. I love the energy and the excitement, and they're all great. Um, and then my second reason is it's just a fun movie. It's something that I enjoy watching every time, and that's something that's kind of a, it's a tall bar even for movies that I like. Okay, man, sounds solid. David, um, you know, I, I tapped you early on for this one because... Um, you wanted me to be a movies. wet blanket. Well, you know, there's, there's three movies in 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die that I, I think irritate you to no end, and they are Avatar, Guardians of the Galaxy, and The Force Awakens. And so I, I really needed to get you on to finally have your say, so let's get it out there, man. How are you going to vote for it and give us two reasons why? First, I think we should clarify that. I mean, I, I get why uh, uh, Avatar is on the list, I and I'm not super irritated that Force Awakens. I am very irritated that Guardians is on the list, but we can move on from that. I am a very hard sin of trust on this movie. It's, it's great. Okay. I mean, I don't dislike this movie by any means. I was having a good time watching it last night. But my two reasons are, is that kind of the same complaint that a lot of people have, which is probably a tired criticism, that it, it doesn't bring anything new, but not necessarily that. So I guess my two, my two reasons are, is one, I don't think that J.J. Abrams understands what the source material that made the original trilogy so special was. 
And and it's more than just being a rehash. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of what Star Wars is, in my opinion, or what makes Star Wars interesting. And uh, and then the other is that it's um, I was there. You know, we were all there in the theater when this movie came out. And there are these moments that landed so hard when you're seeing it uh, in theaters that you can scream and you can shout and you're excited for and they're super awesome. And when I've watched it again after that, they just they're almost awkward. It's it's a movie that's made for marketing and sensation uh, like sensational moments. It was a moment in our culture that was absolutely wonderful, but rehashing it and people watching it after the fact, it's gonna seem awkward and weird. A lot like um, the Fast and Seven Fast and Furious movie where Paul Walker died. Nobody's gonna understand that ending uh, years later. This is gonna be so much fun <laughs> because. I, um, I'm going to go sit a must on this as well. I, I think I, I take things from both of you though. I'm with Jonathan that I'm probably a little on the line. Um, but I'm going to, my first point is pretty much going to clone his. I think the new characters all rule. I think the best part about this new trilogy they've got going are the new characters that they brought to star Wars. And my second point is, is actually almost a direct response to your second point, David, even though we didn't know about these beforehand. Amidst some admitted lows, I think Force Awakens delivers so many great Star Wars highs. I, I am totally with you that it's a movie engineered to deliver these like cheerworthy moments. It, you know, it's a, a movie engineered to be like, here, guys, Star Wars is fun again. And um, I'm really excited to talk about when they work, when they don't, because um, I'm, I'm still really into them. And we'll talk about nostalgia and, you know, that fateful night in December of 2015 kind of restoring hope to Star Wars fans. Having said that, I'm not going to gush about this movie. There's a lot of problems with it. There's a lot of things about it I wish were different, that I wish were better. But if I'm going to if I was going to go, you know, Return of the Jedi Cinemast, I think I do like Force Awakens a little bit more. Return of the Jedi probably a more consistently good movie to me, but the the highest highs of Force Awakens for me cancel out some of the lower lows and uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. So that's what we're locking in. I'm really excited for this discussion, you guys. So we should move into spoilers as quick as we can. But before we do, are there any spoiler-free impressions you want to give to anyone who maybe hasn't seen this movie to uh, get your points across one last time? I'm just really curious for anybody listening who didn't grow up with Star Wars, what they thought about Force Awakens. So I think that's something, we can write at that later, but I'd be really interested to see some comments on people who didn't grow up with Star Wars or this was their entry point into the series, what they thought about this movie, because that's a perspective that we just can't have, right? Absolutely. Yep. 100% agree. All right, guys. So let's, let's drop it there then. I want to get into spoilers and start picking this movie apart. So let's get talking about The Force Awakens. Dear child, I see your eyes. You already know the truth. Whomever you're waiting for on Jakku, they're never coming back. But there's someone who still could. Look, the belonging you seek is not behind you, it is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. The saber. Take it. 
I'm never touching that thing again. I don't want any part of this. I'll start us off. Jonathan, we've got the exact same point, so we might as well just start might as well just start here. The new characters, we love them. We think they're half the reason everybody's got to see this movie. Um, yeah, man, Unker Plot, he's just so freaking good. I just love him in his enough. chubby little little fat suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, The Force Awakens is its popularity is piggybacking off of just how much everybody hated the prequels. And it's so funny because now that everybody kind of hates Force Awakens, the, the prequels have this um, this rebirth happening where they're starting to get reassessed as, oh, they're trying to do something different. But one thing I, I do have to latch on to, as much credit as I like to give the prequels, because I don't like to rag on them. I don't necessarily like them, but I don't think they're the worst thing ever. You know, no character introduced in the prequels was really as good as the, the key set that we get here. Um, and they are controversial in their own right. People sometimes overpraise them. So, Jonathan, I wondered if you had a favorite new character that you wanted to start this conversation off with. Ooh, a favorite new character. I'm a really big fan of Rey, actually. Aren't we all? I like Rey's character a lot. But the trio, Rey, Finn, and Poe, are just all wonderful. I love the act, the actor and actresses that play them, and I love um, the energy that they have together. I like how Finn and Rey work off of each other. There's some great moments there. And they're just heroic, exciting, but still kind of vulnerable. And it's it's what drives the movie. It makes things exciting and fun, I think, is the... The starry-eyed Ray and the Finn trying to figure out the world and Poe just being awesome. So I'm I'm with you. I love her, but let's start with just uh, some heavy stuff because Ray is a source of a lot of what I feel is some valid criticism. She has been called the Mary Sue character, who is good at everything, needs absolutely no help, and never fails. I wondered if we could bounce that idea off of her and see what we think. I think that there's an element of truth to that. Watching it again last night. Uh, really fresh in my mind, not as fresh as you, but I mean, she's a, she is a great character. I mean, I, I have no, the movie is, you know, I'm going to come in with some of my criticism, but I mean, the movie is fun. It's a, it's a great movie. I think it fits well in the canon and these characters are a lot of fun. Uh, but there are one too many moments where she is just great at everything. It almost cheapens any story arc that she does have because it just seems like as soon as she got off the planet, Jakku, I don't know. It just doesn't really feel like she truly struggles. So what's like the big moment for you that's like the most like annoying in that respect, that she's just so good at everything? It's probably when she actually um, force, what's, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, controls Daniel Craig's mind. Oh, Jedi mind trick. Yeah. Yeah. The Jedi mind trick. Uh, that and then when she, when she actually goes toe to toe with Kylo Ren. Those two parts, I'm like, ah, like I get, I enjoy those scenes a lot. I really do, but I have to go like, ah, like there's no way, like it doesn't even within even within this universe, it seems unrealistic. So it's interesting to me because I think characters being good at things, people tend to just focus on physical things, but the core of Ray's struggle is emotional, and it's um, trying to find her place and and see herself as something that's valuable. And I think it's really interesting because that happens despite her, she has lots of these abilities and she's really good at things, but she thinks she's not worth anything, right? And I think that's a really interesting struggle that um, people don't pay as much attention to because we like to focus on, because it's an action movie, it's Star Wars, right? The physical stuff. Um, And I think part of the problem comes with Abram's inability to really explain his own plot. This might be too nerdy, but the 
Like we're, the whole, we're in a Star Wars podcast, man. There is no such thing. <laughs> we're we're going in. We're going in. The idea is that when Kylo like was in her brain, that that did some things both with her and with him, and that she gained access to things that he knew that she couldn't have done on her own. I think that's kind of a shoehorned way to do it, but that is like the explanation of it. It explains it more in the book version of The Force Awakens, which I have read. Um, but again, I think that I think it's hard for people to accept because Abrams doesn't convey it very well, and because everything leading up to this point, she was really good at as well, right? So we kind of just see it as a natural, like, oh, another thing that she can do, right? Yeah, and I I liked that the that's the moment where the Force awakens inside her cerebellum. The name of the movie. <laughs> when you explained that, um, yeah, I, I like what you said about like her her struggle being emotional because I do think that though she is a super powered like overly so that I still, I don't think that that makes her an uncompelling character. I think her plight of being uh, abandoned and having the patience and the hope that her family is going to come back someday. The movie gets crapped on a lot. I think for it doesn't have its own visual language that JJ Abrams just steals shots from the other movies. You know, the, the lightsaber in the snow and the, the turret underneath the X wing, like he just steals all the shots from other movies. And that makes the force awakens. You know, the the intro to Ray, we don't really hear her talk for five, like it's not until she meets BB-8. So we get her entire backstory of how she makes a living scraping out parts from old Star Destroyers and getting just like a, a roll a day. I think all that stuff actually makes her really endearing. And I think that that could speak to your point, Jonathan, about her struggle being emotional, about trying to find her belonging and place in the universe. And I like you know, that Maz Kanata points to that that says your belonging does not lie behind you. It lies ahead of you, which feeds back into the whole great hero's journey thing that Star Wars is all about, which I'd, I'd like to get your guys's take on this because I'm I'm somewhat of a Force Awakens apologist, but I don't apologize to the degree that I'm like, it's the best and nothing's wrong with it. Um, but I, I always thought that it's appropriation of the plot of A New Hope, while I wish it didn't follow so many beats like note for note is an interesting take on George Lucas's decision to say, here's the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell's researched. Every culture has this exact same story. I'm going to take it. I'm going to follow it beat for beat, and I'm just going to set it in this universe. I was always kind of interested in The Force Awakens taking that and say, well, we can do that again within the same universe, but we can, we can switch some things up. We can switch up low points. We can make our, our old mentor figure is now the figure who was least likely to become that. You know, we have Han Solo filling in as Ben Kenobi now, and isn't that an interesting progression? Um, you know, I, I wish they still didn't rely on, like, a droid has an important piece of information that, you know, we still have a trench run in the Death Star. There's, there's a few too many correlations, but I thought it was always kind of interesting for them to be playing with that. What do you, I don't know, what do you guys think? Because I'm kind of on both sides of this issue. Like, I, I use it as a, as a defense, but it also, you know, you still can't excuse just how much they rip off A New Hope. I mean, A New Hope, I mean, sorry, a for, The Force Awakens, A New Force Awakens Hopes, uh, is, <laughs> is really just a great cover song, in my opinion. It is a great, almost corporate cover song of like, we're going to give you the four-quadrant movie that any Star Wars fan is going to walk out and enjoy. No Star Wars fan that saw it that weekend, that made it on the top ten of the most uh, top-grossing movies of all time walked mm -hmm. away going that they didn't enjoy it. Now, if they go back and try to go back with a critical mind, yeah, they can rip it apart and do this and that. But everybody who walked out enjoyed that movie because that's exactly what they were going for. And that's what J.J. Abrams does best. Not as a showrunner. I'm not going to crap on his showrunning or when he writes movies. But 
when he is a director of a movie, he is incapable of an original idea. And he just always tries to do cover songs of what came before him. And that's what he does really well here. And I think that he does create some interesting characters. But, I mean, it is too much beat for beat where they even call themselves out in the middle of the movie thinking that makes it all right. It's it's such a late... It's, it's to the point where there's certain scenes that are that just feel incredibly lazy when they're talking about the difference between the Death Star and uh, Star Killer. Star, what's what's it called? Star Killer Base. Yeah, Star Killer Base. And I thought I thought the exact same thing at that moment of like, okay, it's bigger. It's not, it, you know, it comes off as trying to be. I think the idea was like, oh, well, we're kind of calling ourselves out, so it makes it okay. No, it's lazy. It's just pure laziness, and that's. That's where that movie, the movie gets frustrating because there are so many great elements in this movie that then just feel wasted and rushed in a movie that's fairly long. I don't know. Am I the only one who feels like that? Or No, I think I, to- I, think I totally agree too. I think there's a lot of stuff that was, that if they had just tried, a, a, even if they had kind of followed, like Mike said, the general hero's journey and had some beats from New Hope, there's others that you were like, okay, you couldn't think of anything else than this, right? Like give me five more minutes and we can think of a better way to do this. That isn't a shot for shot, like redo of that other scene. Right. And I think, I think that's where it is. I think it's just, it's, there's some things that it, it can have the same feel and it can have the same, you know, cause we are starting a new, the whole idea is that like, okay, we defeated the empire, but evil doesn't go away. Right. And it finds a way to keep coming back and the cycle of that history and things. And that's fine. But there's other parts where you're like, okay, but could we do this at least a little bit differently? Right. Because we have these great characters, right. We have Finn who is the stormtrooper that's, you know, defected and all that stuff. And there's lots of cool ideas, but they're held back in some ways by the, okay, time to go through the next plot hole, uh, the plot loop that we need to match the, a new hope. Yeah. And, and again, like to, to appropriate in a way that's kind of interesting, but not because, you know, I think that that's one of the most interesting things that they do is um, to take the, the faceless stormtrooper and give him an identity and, you know, build this plot around him defecting is, is a really cool idea. And, you know, I like that while we do have, okay, let's, let's take a ragtag group. Let's go to the Death Star and save the girl that it's born out of, um, you know, lower stakes that Finn's really in it because he's friends with Ray. I think at, at this point in the series, it's kind of established that he has a romantic thing for, her. um, and, and you know, it becomes less about like, we're going to save the galaxy. That's, you know, that's Han Solo, what Han Solo's worrying about. And Finn is totally about like, I just want to get Ray back. And then when they get there, it's like, well, they meet Ray in the middle. She's fine. She got herself out of the chains. Nerd moment. I don't think Finn is capable of romance at this point, And he's kind of imprinting on her because of his training. Okay. Ooh. You guys aren't for the theory that uh, Finn and Poe have a thing going on? Oh, I'm I'm all for it, actually. I love yep. it. I, I think that's actually, if I can start talking about, like, some of these great Star Wars highs, that TIE fighter escape is so good and gets you so giddy. So good. And it's, it's so funny, because when you pick it apart, you know, it's to be those two guys on set that day and to, to be delivering the lines like, I saw it, get the, shoot this guy, hey, it's good to meet you. It's, it's super hokey, but, you know, when you get it with the, the freneticism of the TIE fighter flying so close to the Star Destroyer and that sound design coming back and John Williams' music, it, it's a moment that all works. And I think um, it justifies them changing the script so that Poe doesn't die immediately after that because you want to see that moment where those guys hug it out again. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's one of the things that's hard for this movie for me is that the movie itself on its own doesn't earn a lot of the emotional payoffs it wants you to feel. If somebody who's never seen any other Star Wars movie, I'd like to know if it does have that payoff. 
because it it feels like some of it's just you know what this movie is this movie is a great collection of youtube clips because you can watch a lot of these youtube clips and have an exciting time and, and it's super great and it looks visually awesome the characters are a lot of fun but there's not of a lot of emotional weight the only emotional moment in the movie is when han dies and a lot of that is piggybacking off of three movies and years of us being in love with han solo right what you know, I can only speak for myself, but I, f I feel there's more than we give it credit for. I think the reunion of Finn and Ray is actually pretty heartwarming. I think Finn's distraught screams at Ray being carried off actually hits. Like, I, I think a lot of people crap on John Boyega in the movie because he's kind of the funny guy. And if, if Ray is the character that can never screw up, like Finn is the character who cannot stop screwing up. And I wish there was better balance there, but um, I'm, I'm into the connection those two play. And I'm, I'm also very into... Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, grappling with the, his family legacy and what he's done. I actually, I'm pretty engaged in all that stuff on an emotional level. And the, the other thing, too, is I try to think, okay, I'm Abrams, and I have this super heavy fan-beloved franchise and all these characters that people are waiting with bated breaths to come back. And what do you do? And that's the part that him not failing miserably i think is a success in and of itself and i right. think the fact that it works as well as it does with the weight he had coming into this that i don't know doing something radically different at this point in the franchise even i mean as we see in the last jedi how people responded to that even if i disagree fight me just kidding um that i don't know I, i'm trying to figure out what abrams could have done to capture this to balance this new but also nostalgia in a way that didn't feel in at least some way like he was kind of just writing on his on what he already had i feel that david's about to say something really great so i'm going to put my less great thing in ahead of it i i think one thing that could help him is if he wasn't working for a mega corporation that like david was saying like that we need a four, a four quadrant movie and it has to check off all these boxes so in, in a way you know you abrams is a component that is plugged in rather than an artistic voice that takes control so let's go back to the original source let's go back to a new hope or just star wars I think what makes the original Star Wars movie great is not that it's a sci-fi movie, but that it is other things that we can recognize in a sci-fi world. You know, what were the things that were inspiring him? Flash Gordon movies when he was a kid, the reading, reading John Carpenter, John Carter of Mars or, or Tarzan. He was watching spaghetti westerns. He was watching these other kinds of movies, well, not just spaghetti westerns, but just like old John Wayne western movies. And he took those and he made Tatooine and the cantina scene and all of that a really great... My favorite of all Star Wars is that first act in the original movie. Because that whole uh, Tatooine section is so well thought out and it is a complete Western movie in space, which is really exciting. Jakku has none of that kind of energy because... I think what's happened is that a lot of people who've grown up with Star Wars are looking back at Star Wars being the source. But what made Star Wars interesting was that it wasn't a bunch of other sci-fi that was the source. It was pulling in and mixing genres. What Tarantino is doing now, right? Like Tarantino keeps mixing genres and they come out with these he comes out with these movies that seem really fresh and interesting. While uh even Marvel does this to an extent. While Abrams here, I feel, is just riffing off of what we already know because it's the safest path to take. Could he have done something different? Uh, 
and and failed maybe and and I don't know maybe we'd be crapping on him for it and say why couldn't he have done something else you know it is a tough thing I think I sympathize J.J. Abrams was in a really tough position I uh like you Jonathan I actually love The Last Jedi I think The Last Jedi was so much more fulfilling to me in these two movies because it did something different and did it succeed at all moments no but it was new and it was interesting and it didn't feel like I was retreading something. There are a couple moments in there. But um, this movie, you know, at the end of the day, just feels like it's just retreading without trying to give the same energy that George Lucas did at the beginning. Even even the... <laughs> not a huge, I'm not a fan of them. But the prequels, you know, the original Phantom Menace is a political thriller in space. Now, it bores a lot of people and there's things that don't work. But... He a lot of the criticism there is he put too much politics into it. Well, he was trying to make a political movie in space. Didn't quite stick the landing, but you know what? At the time, we couldn't see that. At the time, we all loved it. Everybody loved that movie. Then, oh, yeah. You're right. stepping away from it, then we were like, oh, actually, that movie wasn't that great, and then it got sh** on a lot. Um, I think that The Force Awakens is going through that same, uh, the same thing. I don't think it's going to get sh** on to the point of Phantom Menace, Force Awakens is always going to stand up as a pretty good movie. But is it the movie when you're talking about Star Wars where you have to see The Force Awakens? No, I'm going to say you got to see the other three. And then, you know, if you like those movies, if you enjoy Star Wars, then yeah, you should definitely see The Force Awakens. But if it's not your cup of tea with those originals, then I don't see why you should see these. Yeah, I think two really good points that you made. I think The Phantom Menace tried very hard to be different and i think that he built that unlike with force awakens lucas built a lot of worlds and a lot of extended stuff like in a new hope that felt very real and very like naboo has so much more weight than any of the planets or places they go in force awakens right that everything there feels temporary and like we're just here for the story rather than it being a place the only difference being i really like the abrams commitment to the uh the mix of cg and real props and characters and stuff i think that was really cool and that helped that this new trilogy a lot that i think that hurt the prequels in their over-reliance on look at all this fun new cg that we can do but yeah and then also i'm really curious to see what abrams does with like mike mike talked about we're not done with this trilogy yet and abrams is doing another movie in this trilogy right and he's been on record a couple times talking about how some of the stuff that uh, Ryan Johnson really inspired him to try to step outside of his own comfort zone and do something different. And I know those are just words, but I'm really curious to see if he can do it because that would be such a big step for him. And honestly, it could be a way for us to be like, okay, you know, you're kind of forgiven a little bit for doing this in Force Awakens because you gave us, like, I want him to give us an awesome movie in Rise of Skywalker and show that he can do something more. Yeah, you guys have brought up a lot of really great points because I find this movie so interesting. I teeter between all these different ideologies because I'm really with you, David. Like, yeah, I would have loved to have seen more Western stuff. But at the same time, it's like, is it the worst thing that a Star Wars movie is inspired by Star Wars? It's a fine line to walk. And I think it kind of all this stuff goes to show what we've been talking about. There's really no way to win um, when you're making a Star Wars movie that no matter what, there's a faction that is just going to think it's the best and a faction that thinks it's the worst thing that's ever happened to cinema. And everyone just kind of makes up uh, their own decision. I and guess. that's, that's far too extreme to, to think that 
you know, this is the worst movie. It's it's a it's a great it's fine. It's you know, J.J. Abrams is is the safest director you could possibly have, right? Like he's never going to make a movie that you're going to walk out and go, oh man, that movie was just the worst. Like it's fine, you know, it's great. It's a lot of fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have moments where you're going to be like, oh, that's awesome, you know. Uh, it's it's great. It's just that um, when we're talking about the, the what Star Wars did was create something that was so new and fresh. You know, I was excited to see that again, and then we just got the Death boundaries. Star again for the fourth movie. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Death Star uh, four, no three, the third time we've seen the Death Star in these movies, and and I mean like even you know Finn Finn's a great character. I I really enjoy him, but um, you really want to get fleshed out, really interesting. Uh, dynamics with stormtroopers watch the clone wars you know the clone wars did it the best granted it's a tv show i get that so it's not a fair criticism but you know every a lot of the ideas that were here just i just want i just want abrams to do something really different and i don't care if he fails wrath of the titans is better than clash of the titans even though it sucks as a movie it's better because it tried so does the um for you guys does the fact that everything is just so much the same as new hope does that immediately shut you off from uh being sucked into it like you know knowing that it's a second death star are you just totally checked out now of you know the the x-wing run and all the stuff that's happening on star killer base does that become tedious because it's not new or is there still something that you can kind of go along with the action beats so I've, I've talked to you about this before, Mike, that I think it's hard because they had some big plot stuff going on about how like the Republic needed to be destroyed, all that, whatever. But I think if it had all just been, we need to rescue Rey from this base that's not a giant planet destroyer, then that would have like, because I think that's my big one. I think that's the hardest one for me to justify is the, is the Starkiller base, even if it exists in some extended Star Wars canon stuff. Um, especially because the original trilogy has Death Star and Death Star 2, right? So we're already on the third one rather than just the second one, which we could talk about if that works in Return of the Jedi or not. But I think, like, I can forgive more most of the other beats in the movie. Um, And this that one's the hard one for me because it feels really rushed. It feels like they're in and they blow it up in, like, you know, the end of the movie. They my, My least favorite moment in the scene is when they point a gun at phasma's head and say turn off the shields and she says okay yeah. right like yeah. like yeah. what yeah. that's that that is the biggest i i, I can't i hate that's that. a low I hate that, that, is, that is one of the admitted lows. they're, they're keeping in like, tradition with having a cool character and doing nothing with it uh exactly oh, exactly they're, they're keeping it up what a waste but yeah but i think that like because the characters are so strong if they had make if they had made even with the stuff about luke trying to get the map and if they had made that about rescuing ray for convincing the resistance because she the, the map stuff but also because the characters wanted to rescue her that would have been enough for me because that's what i'm invested in i'm invested in the characters and you could you still could have had a really cool rescue operation that could have involved awesome x-wings and fights and stuff but just without that big giant looming we're here again and we're blowing up a giant thing that's going to blow more things up again even it's bigger but it's still the same so I, I totally agree. I think that's I think that's the issue with it is because if you are a Star Wars fan or a, a casual Star Wars watcher and watch the original, by the time you get onto the Star Killer base, you know what the next forty minutes is going to how it's going to play out. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know that Kylo Ren is going to live. You know that they're going to blow up the Star Killer base. You know it's going to be last minute. And it's going to be harrowing. You you have no worry about that. You know that Finn's not going to die. There's not a lot of weight in some of those things because you already know at the back of your mind what's going to happen. It just plays out like by the numbers. 
Granted, yeah, I do think that on. Solo's death is done really well, but still. Is this not also a critique you could level against something like Return of, like in Return of the Jedi? Is there really any doubt that they're not going to get the shield generator blown up in time? Like, it, you know, do you operate in that climax thinking like the Death Star might survive? Like the, the rebellion might actually die in this third movie. OK, I'm going to be honest here. The Death Star has always been the most boring parts of the entire series. It was the most boring part I, in the original movie. It was the most that part was the most boring part in Return of the Jedi. It's the most boring part here. Return of the Jedi, what makes it awesome is the fight between the dad. I mean, between father and son. It's so emotional. That scene is so great. And the conflicts between Finn, Rey, and, and uh, Han and everything are so interesting on this planet. But the actual Starkiller and Death Star portions are just always so boring to me. So I've got you here because I totally agree. And I think that's actually to go back to this point about like this reappropriating the hero's journey structure. I think it's kind of genius that the, the big assault on Starkiller base is not the focus, that the focus is the rescue mission. It's the Han Solo stuff. It's will Ray defeat Kylo Ren in the lightsaber fight. Like the stuff with Finn is shot as like a side adventure to be like, this is the big battle that's going on, but we know it's not like the thing that you are the most interested in the way in a new hope. It is the thing you're the most interested in, but, and Return of the Jedi, what you're most interested in is what's going on in the throne room. So I think Force Awakens is more tapped into like what's more interesting than people give it credit for. And I, I even think like the the X-Wing fi fight has a lot going for it. I think that shot from inside of the cockpit, I think it's inside Ko's cockpit, is really good. And it's not something we've seen in a Star Wars movie before, like what it's like to actually be sitting in the chair with TIE fighters all around you and missiles incoming and turrets and how frenetic that is. I, I don't think that stuff gets enough credit. That's totally fair. And I think, I think in the end, that's why it, it, it still must for me, because I think everything else around this incident is really good. I like the interaction with Han Solo and his son and, and Kylo. I like the rescue mission. There's lots of fun stuff there. And I don't know. Yeah, but it, it definitely I can I completely understand 100 percent how like they could have just not and it would have been kept all of the good things and we wouldn't have had anything to worry about. Oh, yeah. And, and like you guys are saying, not that hard either. Like, a, you know, some, some extra rewrites kind of wash all this stuff away. But whether it's the, the production schedule and Disney saying, like, this is coming out Christmas 2015. So deal with it. We want we, you just have to give us a hit. If you don't give us a hit, I can only imagine what they threaten J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy with. Well, it's like the action medieval stuff. It's like the action movie always having the terrorist with a nuke at the end. Right. Like it's just it's something that people pick and then they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just do this. And I think Star Wars is falling into that. I will argue there is one cool thing the Death Star's done, and that's when it shoots the planet in Rogue One. That part's awesome. But besides that, the Death Star's done nothing cool. Well, it's done cool stuff, but I'm with you, David, that it's, <laughs> it's oh, no, you know kind what? of that's always been point. like the least interesting thing. The Death Star was the most interesting in uh, Rogue new. One. I think that they actually utilized it the best in that movie. But, okay, another point of just how I feel like they're just trying to get moments and try to play with your emotionals, emotions in ways that are not entirely effective is, and this is, this is probably one of the parts that bugs me the most, I can forgive almost everything in this movie except for this scene. Why the hell did we not have a scene where Leia and Chewbacca embrace each other at the end. Oh, right. right. Why does she hug Rey? Someone she has never met and she knows nothing about. And Rey has absolutely no idea who this woman is. And, and yes, we could say, it was the Force. It was this connection. It was that connection. Bullshit. She just lost her husband. She knows that her son is now worse than ever. And Chewbacca just watched his nephew kill his best friend. 
and they walk. It's not even that they're they're walking in different directions. They walk right past each other without even <laughs> he's acknowledging in the, he's each in the other. foreground. And it's yeah, that yeah. moment that really hit me. Was like, wow, that's a real fundamental misunderstanding of who these characters are. Um, yeah, man, you won't get any arguments here. That is that is a huge misstep, and definitely, a, I think every fan keeps like a list of like the top ten things I would change about Force Awakens if I had creative control, and that if it doesn't top the list, it's it's probably in everybody's top three. Yeah, they can they can keep Starkiller base, but that I I actually forgot about that, and I feel bad that I forgot about that because that's pretty bad. <laughs> actually, this this sounds like a fun game to play really quick. So, would that be like the number one thing you would change, David, if you could change only one thing about the movie? Probably. Okay. I think that would be because if I were to change others, then maybe that scene wouldn't have happened necessarily. But if the movie as is, yes, that scene would have made a huge difference. That's where you could have had your moment to cry. Jonathan, one moment you can change in Force Awakens, what would you do? Since you already picked that moment, I'll pick the Phasma moment. Okay. I hate that moment so much. It is, it is really bad. <laughs> Honestly, and this is really weird, if I could change one thing... I might have had R2 go off with Luke because, you know, it's a movie you can't help but rewrite in your head. To me, like, there's, there's such a cool missing shot from this movie at the very end when Ray and Chewie land on Octo and she's climbing the steps. And how cool would it be if the camera's tracking left and then around the corner of a rock standing as a sentinel, you see the old figure of R2 keeping watch. It's always bummed me out that that's not in there. <laughs> that's a good one. And Luke needs company. Um, but Jonathan, this is actually something I'd like to talk really quickly about because we talked about it last night off mic um and this goes back to what you said about abrams has a a story that's like there but he doesn't convey it well visually to me the movie is so much more interesting if the first order is not just amazing and well-funded right off the bat if the movie starts with it kind of being like a terrorist cell that's kind of getting its legs and that kylo ren has been drafted and is the secret weapon to getting it to where it needs to be and you know i'm i'm actually starkiller base aside like i'm fine with star killer base like if we need that beat of the republic being destroyed and it gets us there without having to waste a whole movie's worth of exposition that's fine but i want that to be like a, a real shift in power from them where they finally like come in control and instead it's kind of just like they are the empire and then they blow up these planets and they're still the empire and that's that's what they're doing that's the problem that is the story but he doesn't convey it very well the First Order is supposed to be hiding and be in secret, and nobody believes Leia that they're a problem, and that's why she's not in the Republic and why she's fighting this resistance now. But they don't convey it very well in the movie itself. So the the moment of the Republic being destroyed is, like, kind of random because they haven't really talked about it, whereas that could have been an interesting twist on the Death Star, right? Of, oh, it already does exist, and, oh, it already just did what it was needed to and destroyed everything, right? I guess that's, mm -hmm. I guess that's what happens in A New Hope, though, so eh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, but, it is. but that's like, <laughs> that is the story there. When Hux gives his big speech about the First Order, that is them saying, we're going to be a power now. This is our time to finally be the Empire again. It's that he doesn't, he's working so much with, like, the Star Wars tropes and the things that we know and feel that it already feels like it's Empire versus Rebels again. But the dynamic is what you wanted it to be. He just doesn't convey it very well. Yeah, because if, if that scene, I, I like that speech scene. I think that Bren, Donald Gleason is like really hateful in that moment. And it's really stepping into the shoes of like the new Tarkin. Yeah, if if that moment was conveyed as like that is the combined force, like that's the entire First Order. I thought that would be really cool. But it's shot in a way that gives the impression like here's like group A and, you know, groups B, C, D, E, F, G are all. Yeah, because we see those kinds of shots in Star Wars all the time, right? So we don't think about yeah. it that way. When we see uh, stormtroopers interact 
uh, around, everybody knows about them. I mean, it, it's exactly like the other movies where it's like, exactly. oh, it's just a stormtrooper. They should be shocked to see, like, wait, when, when they're on Jakku, people should be, we should see people reacting like, what the heck are those? Are those stormtroopers? Like, those shouldn't be around anymore. Um, they literally keep showing the relics earlier, but yeah, it's not conveyed they at all. Be, it feels like they've always been in power. Yep, they should be myths like Luke and like like how Ray yeah. says they're all like, did that all really happen? The stormtroopers and stuff like that should feel the same way to people. Not that this is a bad thing because of of all the movies in this run that we're doing. I think this one does invite the most controversy. Um, but we, you know, we've also talked a lot about like the movie's still fun. And, and really, I think that Jonathan and I we're, we're cinema musting and that's kind of what we're falling back on. It's like, we have so many problems with this movie, but it's still fun. It's to me, my cinema must vote comes more from a place of like, well, there's no one I wouldn't recommend it to. Like, it's fun. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but it's, it kind of hits you where you need a star Wars adventure to hit you. So if I could shift us to uh, just a couple moments that we can speak highly of, what are some of the funnest moments in this movie for you guys? And I think it would be interesting to start with you, David, if there are any. Can I, can I go back for a second? So Absolutely. Uh, the movie is fun. We look we, forward to it. We've all established that the movie is fun. I believe if we go back to uh, one of our old episodes about Ray Harryhausen, that was the same argument you used for um, Sinbad. And yes, uh, yes. instead of going with another movie, Jason and the Argonauts, that tried harder, right? Yes. And we talked, we talked about that idea of like trying something and failing is always going to be better than just going back with safe and fun. And so, I mean, would you really, would you, there's nobody, nobody that you would not recommend this movie to. Somebody who doesn't like Star Wars or has never seen a Star Wars movie, would you say, no, I want you to watch this movie now? Yeah. I'd do that. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. And that's and that's me, you know, I've I've cinema mustard every Star Wars movie we've talked about, so I'm not coming into this like detached from just how much I love the franchise. <laughs> okay. Um I think there's a lot of great cinema moments uh in here. I I don't you know, I, I have a love hate relationship, but the scene where Ray gets the lightsaber is a cool one. I that's think the big one for me. Endgame did it better. But it's a cool one. And then I do think that there are just some visual shots sun uh settings and just landscape shots that are just absolutely beautiful throughout the movie would that be the uh the speeder bike crossing the desert with the crashed star destroyer in the background is that one you're talking about there's there's too many to count there's just too many times when like they just take a moment to just take a look at stuff you know when the when the x-wings are coming into the second planet the cantina Mm. planet yeah something that an old western would do Maybe. <laughs> oh, they do. No, you don't. You don't want to fight me on what old westerns do. They definitely okay. do this. <laughs> okay. Jonathan, favorite moments? Um, we haven't talked a lot about Kylo Ren yet. Um, but I actually no. really love his tantrums. I think they're wonderful. And the the part where he destroys all the console or whatever, I think that's really really great. <laughs> um, and just his general uneasiness where he's trying so hard to be in control and to be powerful, but he's failing so miserably at it. And I just love. I love that so much. So to go back to where we started, that you and I have the same point about how we love the new characters. I love Ray, and we talked about how great Ray and Finn are. Kylo Ren's my favorite. For me, he's the one thing that um, where the movie is being self-aware and it works for me. That the entire thing about him is that he's a Vader wannabe, and instead of trying to do a design that's like, well, how can we make a bad guy that's not Darth Vader? They said, well, what if we make a bad guy who just desperately wants to be Darth Vader, but he just obviously is not. 
Um, and, and I like that. And I think that's another good moment um, when he's trying to pull the map from Ray's mind and that shift from him being in control and it ending with Ray being in control and finally unlocking really how insecure this guy is that he has that line that the droids showed the map to you, a scavenger, you're nobody. And I'm descended from Skywalkers and solos and I'm heir to the legacy of Darth Vader and just how much that bothers him is so good and conveyed so concisely in that one scene. Adam Driver is wonderful. I love yeah, Adam I think Driver. He's the, I think he's the best addition to like this new trilogy, and I, I like him a lot in Last Jedi. I'm excited to see what happens with him in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, all his stuff, I eat it up. I love it. I've got a character I want to ask you guys about. Another very controversial character. What are your thoughts on BB-8? Fine. <laughs> Okay, so you're not a fan, David. No, I'm not, not a fan. He's fine. There's nothing... There, what's, what's not to like about him? He's adorable, but I mean, he's just another R2-D2. Sure. Yeah, I like BB-8. I think BB-8's fine. Um, I don't like that part of the reveal for Rise of Skywalker was, look, another small, cute droid. Like, okay, stop, please. <laughs> like, just let us have BB-8. He's fine. Just stop adding more. I don't know. I think he's fine. But it's kind of been a, you know, every, every Star Wars has a token a new droid character that's quirky but um yeah i don't i don't have any negative thoughts about bb8 i think he's fine okay actually i really like him but i also can't disagree that he's just we need a new r2d2 and we gotta sell toys and say hey i got this idea and it, at least it's a cool design it's a new sound design for his voice i think he's got a lot of spunk in ways that are similar to r2 but he still has his own personality um, I, I pretty much bring it up because um we are short a host for this entire 50th episode extravaganza um my awesome wife amanda emmel who's been on the show before I, I wanted to have her on this she loves force awakens but her work schedule has kept her busy so she cannot make it so as the ghost of amanda emmel compels me to say that bb-8 is adorable and awesome and responsible for so many of the great laughs that really buoy the movie up and make you have a fun time and i'm also supposed to mention that poe dameron is just a hunky badass and really awesome <laughs> Doesn't she like Maz a lot, too? She does like Maz a lot. Um, and I've come to like Maz a lot because I watching some of the special features I've seen, she is based off of a teacher J.J. Abrams had that uh, would, would do kind of the same thing, kind of like pushed you out of your comfort zone and said, you know, this is what you have to do to grow, and I'm not really going to hold your hand. And uh, it just warms my heart that there's this picture of this, you know, public school educator hanging on the computers at, you know, dozens of workstations at ILM so that they can base this Maz Kanata character off of her. Okay, so final que- I have a final question. Do you think that, so Last Jedi brings interesting discussion with Force Awakens, but also, do you think that, for any of you, that the Rise of Skywalker being good or bad could change your opinion on The Force Awakens? Ooh, good question. David? I don't think so. Because the way that I viewed... One of the reasons why I liked The Last Jedi is that it basically does away with everything in The Force Awakens, and it just starts on a new trajectory. And so, unless they do something crazy, uh, really, it's the only two movies that are really going to matter are Return Jedi. I mean, uh, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. So I can't see how it makes a huge difference for the first movie. Mm. I don't see it impacting me because I already really like Force Awakens, even after seeing it probably like 10 times and knowing all the cracks and all the things about it that still bother me. I still think it's a really fun time. So I don't know that there's anything it can do that will make other things make sense. 
but I don't know if there's anything it'll do that'll feel like, oh, that's wasted, because like David said, Last Jedi has already taken us in such a new trajectory that it's uh, it's got a nice little buffer. So I think The Force Awakens can kind of stand on its own, even though we don't know where this trilogy is headed at the moment. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think the one thing that it could do is maybe um, amplify my feeling for wanting more from Force Awakens, especially if they finish really strong, right? And then this, then this becomes, to me, the weakest link of the trilogy. Um, I think that's the only way it could really change it is make me that desire for a little bit more out of it just become stronger. Okay, so <laughs> The Force Awakens can only get worse from here. <laughs> I like it. Um, David, you were going to say something. Well, this is a movie that happens. This doesn't really make a huge difference in the way that you view it, but this is a movie that is jam-packed with um, cameos. Yeah. I, I'm just curious what were some of your favorite cameos. Interesting question, since you can't readily recognize most of them. Okay, then then instead of one, because they don't really make a huge difference in it, what were some of your favorite ones that you learned afterwards? Daniel Craig. Yeah, I think Daniel Craig for me, too. <laughs> to be on set and be like, I, I just want to be just standing around doing what any you know extra could do, but it's Daniel Craig. I think that's really great. And, yeah, you know, we... Daniel Craig. Probably uh, also Simon Pegg is the one that comes to mind a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, his, I, you know, I admire them both to say, like, I... I want to be in your movie, but I don't want, you know, me to be in your movie because it's going to distract people. So, you know, put me in a suit or whatever. I, you know, I, I think that's actually pretty Which cool. Which I think is one thing I do appreciate about this new franchise, being, being willing to make most of its main characters not big A-list. I think that's, I think that's true. I think that's yeah. really true to the Star Wars spirit. Yeah, in keeping with, with A New Hope that, um, you know, Oscar Isaac's a big deal. Adam Driver had been in movies, but, you know, wasn't... You wouldn't have picked him for the, the lead heavy in the new Star Wars trilogy. Uh, same with John Boyega. Like, I think he was a big deal in the UK. I think Daisy Ridley is like totally unknown before Force Awakens. So, yeah, I respect that. This all kind of points to what I think is a good point for us to end on is um, Force Awakens is uh, assessed a lot as an event movie more than a piece of filmmaking. And this is an interesting flip because I talk on the podcast a lot about movies that I think are a lot more fun to talk about than they are to actually watch. And I think Force Awakens is the exact opposite. The Force Awakens, you know, the the best or the most you'll ever appreciate Force Awakens is like as it's happening to you. And when you start to talk about it, then that's when things start to come apart, which bodes ill for uh, putting it on, starring on a podcast. But I still, I still think to my detriment, probably I ride that high of uh, December night in 2015. It's been, uh, what are we... 10 years since an official Star Wars movie and 35 since this trajectory and to, you know, a hush fell over the crowd. Like, are they going to be able to do it? Is this going to deliver enough of what I want? And I think it does. It delivers enough of what you want while not giving you enough of what you probably really want deep down. But I think it is, I think it even goes beyond serviceable because I don't think I would just call this movie fine checks up enough boxes because if it only did that i don't think i would be as endeared to the new characters as i am i don't think i would appreciate a lot of those shots that i've been talking about and uh i you know i think i would have turned my back pretty quickly on caring about this new trilogy at all but i'm still going strong with it so what are your guys's take on it as assessing it as more of an event movie rather than a standalone film in the the halls of cinema um i think there's a lot of value in that i think that is a really good point um and kind of part of my so, uh, 
this actually, it was really interesting because I, when I first saw Force Awakens, I didn't know what I thought about it. And you can ask my wife, I stayed up multiple hours after that just being like, did I like that movie? And I had like all kinds, <laughs> and it honestly took me two or three more times of viewing it for me to decide that I liked it more than its flaws. So I almost had, I, I thought the event was really great and I had a fun time watching it, but I walked out of the theater not sure if I liked the film and it took me a few more times to, I guess, forgive it for the things that I didn't like and just let myself go and have fun with it. So I kind of had a little bit of a different experience. Interesting. A person who had delayed forgiveness instead of gradual deterioration <laughs> of goodwill. Uh, David, what was your take? How long, how long before your wife told you to stop bothering her and keeping her awake? <laughs> <laughs> she she was awake the whole, whole movie. I saw this movie twice in this opening weekend. Uh, I saw it in, twice on Friday when it opened. I saw it in the morning. Nice, nice. Uh, and uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable both times. But I think the problem that I have with this movie is that it, it was an event movie, and that I guess for me the things just didn't land in the long run. Like it. It was a great fix in the moment, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think this movie is—I think this movie is a lot of fun. Um, but it, you know, in in the grand in the grand conversation of the greatest films of all time, this film doesn't bring anything new to the table that is worth remembering in fifty years. And this man. You must be like in my brain. You must be trying to get like the map from my head, David, because this is where I wanted to take it as my final comments to go back to. Um, how I threw you under the bus for, you know, the, the movies that are in this 1001 movies book that you dislike. You know, I, I'm glad you're passionate. I am, too. Um, I like our show's format that we're using this this book and the movies on, in it to, to give us a framework. It gives us a jumping off point. But I like that we go wider than that, that our list can go as far as we want. You know, it could be 10,000 movies. It's whatever. So it, in a finite universe where it's like, I only, I have a thousand and one movies everyone has to see and that's it. Um, no, I don't think The Force Awakens should be on that list. I absolutely am kind of shocked that it's in the book still. It, it made sense to me why it was in like the first edition it showed up because the new entries are always weird and are kind of just capitalizing on like the big event movies. And this was a really big one. But it, it is still in there after, I think, two editions, and I find that very surprising. But, as I mentioned, with, with our list that continues to expand and grow, I don't have a problem with it being on there because of, uh, of the joy, of, of kind of just that singular moment of Rey finding her belonging and realizing her destiny and snatching the lightsaber in the snow. Um, it's a high that I've, I continue to ride. As many things of this movie bother me, and as much of it can continue to deteriorate, like that moment always stands alone to me is like, this is uh, Star Wars is back, which is how a lot of us felt, why we went multiple times opening weekend and grabbed all our friends who hadn't seen it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's legacy isn't doing great, but it, its place in time is very special to me. And I think that will be the final point I will rest a cinema must vote on. Okay. This is a formatting question for the show. Uh, yes. A logistical question. Okay, Please. so I have always understood, and viewers, back me up if you guys have felt this way, Jonathan, I thought that we had two different kinds of episodes on this show. We have one where it's a, do we add it to the list, something that is not included on the 1001 movies before you die. Or okay. it's the, well, this is a movie that is on the list, and we're deciding whether it stays on that list or take it off of that list that has already been created. 
And since this movie is already on the list, and you have said you wouldn't put it on that list, isn't that kind of going, am I nitpicking here? Isn't that kind of going against the premise of the show? Well, I want Jonathan's take first to see how Ian, he understands the format. Oh man, hot seat. Personally, I kind of view the movies in, in as, as each their own entity um, that we're pulling from the list as material for to talk about. The other people have said these are cinemusts and do we agree type stuff. But I can see where you're coming from. And I think it has been maybe a little could go either way. And I don't have a clear like this is how I f- have decided that it should be feeling about it. Okay, well, this is great because 50 episodes in, I have failed as a, as a showrunner. So let's, <laughs> let's get this all cleared up um, well you know and then to be fair i don't talk about it because of all the things that are most interesting to talk about on a movie podcast it's like what are the the bylaws and regulations of how your show works i'd like to hear an episode about that the list as it exists in a thousand and one movies is what we are pulling from so that exists as published by Barron's educational publishing in this book we are using it as a jumping off point so when we first started we had nothing. There were no must-see movies. And then we got them on. Then we had Arrival and Close Encounters and Mad Max Fury Road and Psycho. And that, bi- that list started to build to the point that it now has something like 65 movies at the moment on it. Um, so we're using that as a framework. And really the reason I've done that is just to give us uh, something to pull from that we wouldn't normally be drawn to. Because if I had just said, we're going to talk about the eligibility of movies as movies everybody has to see, pick what you want we would never have done a show on an Andalusian dog or Sherlock Jr. or things like that. I I picked it because it gave us a framework to draw from, but always to the goal that we would assess that and decide if this was a movie that was deserved a spot on our list that we vote on with our listeners. The mic has spoken. Does that make sense? You have spoken, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If this bothers people... Remember, you can always email us at cinemas at gmail.com because nothing is set in stone and we want this to be an enjoyable podcast for you to listen to. <laughs> I've just never heard different. <laughs> um, but who writes into a podcast like, hey, man, I really like all your rules. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> OK, any final words you guys would like to say on The Force Awakens? I think just reiterating what I said at the beginning that I'm really curious if this was anybody's entry into Star Wars, what their opinion is on this film. I think that's a really valuable piece of information that might help us determine a little bit more what its legacy is going to be. Because we honestly, we just can't know, right? We're not, we don't exist 50 years from now yet. But when we get there, I'm really curious to see where this movie lands, where the trilogy lands, and where I guess Star Wars as a medium has ended up. Because it's been around for a while, and I'm assuming it's going to be around for a while longer. We'll do a podcast on it then. We're going to be around for 50 years, you guys. Old man podcast. (laughs) David, your final thoughts. I agree with Jonathan. I am curious about uh, what people would say about this movie if it was um, something new to them. Star Wars is so baked into our culture, but Star Wars is slipping away. Uh, what I think what The Force Awakens does is it marks an interesting moment where it's the last hurrah of Star Wars fans. At least that's what it mm-hmm. feels like. I feel like more and more people are caring less and less about Star Wars. Yeah. We'll see what happens when the man uh the Mandalorian comes out and they and the next movie comes out, maybe there's gonna be a revitalization. But I've read articles about uh uh the generation just doesn't care as much and it's yeah. been going on in our culture for a long time. And so 
this could be the the death rattle of our Star Wars fandom. And we view this movie through a lens of having it baked into our culture and ourselves for the for our entire lives. We don't know life with Star Wars. And so it would be curious to know how this movie will hold up in the future. And uh, for people who were born after September 11th, and this may be their first movie that they've ever seen uh, in the Star Wars canon, uh, what their reaction would be. So I, I would be curious about that as well. That's I'm actually on board with that. As much as I love Star Wars, and uh, you know, we, we opened talking about like, oh, when, when do we show Star Wars to our kids? Because I'm so excited to show Star Wars. I'm also okay with it um, going away. I'm okay with a new generation having their own thing. You know, I'm okay that Harry Potter supplanted Star Wars in the early 21st century. And and with that in mind, I'd really be okay. I'm really okay with the prospect of this being a send-off with episode nine being like, okay, this is it. Like the Star, the Skywalker saga is done. I'm, I'm really okay with that because if a, if an, if a farewell is executed decently, I think that that is worth a lot. And uh, we, I spoke in the Return of the Jedi segment on like, it's a decent enough finale, but it didn't really give me what I want. If Rise of Skywalker can do that, then, you know, maybe this this whole trilogy could have better staying power than if it, it just keeps going. You know, if if it actually just says goodbye, that might be the best thing that um, this new trilogy could do. So we'll see what happens. I, I guess at the very least, we're indebted to Force Awakens for giving us a spirited conversation. And guys, I can't thank you enough for coming in to round out the final segment of this Star Wars extravaganza. You guys are the best. No, you, Mike. <laughs> so I've, we, have, we have just strung listeners along this whole thing. I hope, you know, I'm so grateful to anybody who's stuck it out with us for both parts discussing four Star Wars movies ad nauseum. Um, but as always, and as with every other show, this one is no different. The fate of these movies is in your guys' hands now. Um, our poll for the must-see status of all four episodes is now up at cinemus.com, so you can cast your vote. And, you know, there's no guarantee that all of these have to make it in. Each one's considered individually. So if Force Awakens sucks, doesn't deserve a spot on that must-see movie list, you guys will be the ones to decide it. So we'll give you the appropriate two weeks, as always, to watch the movies, cast your votes at cinemus.com, and we will reveal the results on our next episode. Jonathan, David. Thank you guys so, so much for coming on. Are there any final words you'd like to say to the nice people? May the force be with there, you all. There it is. That's what I'm fishing for. <laughs> Thank you guys for the discussion. Thank all of you for listening and being a part of this 50th episode. We're so grateful for you guys listening to us, for voting in the polls. We couldn't make it to 50 without you, and we're hoping that we can last another 50,000, whatever it takes. Um, so I will just echo everything that David said. Thank you guys so much, and may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.